Are we having fun yet? Welcome, everybody, to this month's installment of Cancel Too Soon. That's the podcast here on the Real World Podcast Network, where I, Kevin Ford, and my pal, Jerome Cusan, discuss television shows that might have been canceled too soon. This month is a bit of an interesting entry as a revival is on the horizon, but yet we felt it was uh, necessary to discuss it anyways. We're going back to a show developed by our old pal Rob Thomas as we discuss the star's television comedy, Party Down. Jerome, how are we today? Uh, Kevin, I am doing well, but you know, I, uh, I just I have a couple of things to, to, to get off my chest right at the top here. Uh, at first, I thought that we were only reviewing Andrew W.K.'s Party Hard, and so I thought that's what we were going to be spending an hour talking about, so I listened to the song and did some research, only to discover that, no, we are, in fact, reviewing Party Down, uh, which is a good show in its own right, but, Kevin, i got to be honest, I'm a little disappointed that we are not reviewing Andrew W.K.'s hit song from the early aughts, Party Hard. Well, credit to Andrew W.K., at least pre-pandemic, he was still doing concerts and getting a pretty solid crowd to show up for what is, like you said, basically one song from two decades ago. So, uh, and, and to my knowledge, he also has not been canceled in the other uh, term that has, has popped up in the past few years. So I understand the confusion to a certain extent, but also I think that man is doing just fine and uh, not canceled in either respect. Today we are talking about Party Down. This is, again, another show that was made by Rob Thomas, who we discussed uh, his show, Veronica Mars, elsewhere here on the Real World Podcasting Network. Go check out all, I believe we did five episodes total, discussing Veronica Mars. So go check those out if you have not uh, listened to those already. Rob Thomas said that he was inspired to make the show because of the British version of The Office. He was dating a, a girlfriend from the UK at the time who made him watch a bunch of different shows, and none of them really resonated with him. But then this show came on. He loved it so much that he called some of his other friends in show business, including Dan Etheridge, John Enbaum, and Paul Rudd, and said, hey, you guys got to watch it. And I think they even would get together like weekly to watch it together. And Rob said that he was not somebody who ever thought he would want to write a comedy. But seeing the show made him realize there's a comedy that has a certain bit of like sadness to it. That is something that he thinks that he really wanted to do. And the idea of doing a catering service seemed funny to him because it was like the idea of dropping into a different party each and every week, especially in an area where it's Hollywood, nobody working the event, their life ambition is to be in the food service industry, and each different party has its own set of characters, makes for a very interesting and funny show. And he also liked the idea that's really explored with Henry in the show about like, you know, if you're somebody who has this dream how long do you chase that dream before you give up? So there was a lot of interesting things going on in his brain to sort of that sort of went and, and melded to create the idea of Party Down. So then it was time to, to shop the show around. And I guess they had Paul Rudd on board to act in the show at the time. And so the first place they went to is HBO, who bought it before they even went in the door. And that's because Paul Rudd was attached to it. So as soon as Paul Rudd got busy and he couldn't do the show anymore, HBO lost interest. And I guess HBO, when they heard about the show, they were hoping it was going to be way more like Inside Hollywood than the show actually was. So then they wrote uh, the original Party Down script and went to FX with it. And FX decided it just didn't fit well with It's Always Sunny, which was, you know, it started in 2005. So at that time, it maybe had a year or two underneath it and was really starting to gain some steam. And so 
I guess they were thinking of other comedy shows to pair on that Thursday night, and they just didn't see how Party Down fit with it. So then it sat for two years until something interesting happened. Uh, you know, we talk about Veronica Mars, how uh, season one and two had 22 episodes, and season three was cut to only 20 episodes. So they decided that since they had a couple – they had some extra time because those two episodes were cut, they would use the crew from Veronica Mars to – and use that extra time to film a pilot for Party Down to shop around. So everybody who's in the first season cast except for uh, Martin Starr and Lizzie Kaplan were brought in and they shot this pilot. So now they actually had a proof of concept to take to networks. Next up after that was Comedy Central, who apparently didn't like it at all. And then Showtime had an opposite experience with them where they loved the show, but they had no idea how to market it. But then Rob Thomas got a tip off that Stars, who had never run a first-run show at the time when the show came out, was starting to look into that as something to do, obviously based on the success that other premium channels were having with their own original content. And something about indie comedy was something they were looking into. So they sent in Party Down to Stars. They took a look at it. They liked it, and they bought it for – I think it was the one season at the time. And that's the that's the birth of Party Down. It was really interesting to hear just that journey of a show going from network to network to network to network and then ending up on Stars. It's a very dissimilar journey that like the Clerks animated series we talked about had, but a very interesting one nonetheless. So I think what fascinates me so much about the journey that the show took on is that I think like so many of these, so many of the shows that we've talked about, I think it ended up being maybe a little bit too early. I feel like a, a show like this, and not just because of the actors, but I feel like a show like this would absolutely have found its way onto, I mean, it is on Hulu now, but I feel like this is a show that would be on Hulu and get, you know, five to six seasons, if not, if not more. I think it would fit in perfectly. Uh, with things that Hulu are doing or, you know, even a Netflix or I just think that this show would be able to find a, an audience. The other problem is that I think the show tonally is in an uncanny valley uh, because I think what what you see happening is like you have a show like The Office, which is that mockumentary style. But it, it is also a little bit on the mean spirited side at times. And, you know, we're just a couple of years away from uh, Parks and Rec, which I think. It really did change comedy in a significant way, shifting away from kind of the meaner aspects of like The Office and, and, and a lot of your other mainstream sitcoms and making everyone nice to each other. And I just think that is a fundamentally different way of approaching comedy. And I think that you're still seeing that influence over the years. Uh, I look at a show like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is in a similar vein, you know, same creator. But even a show like Abbott Elementary, it, you know, which is in its second season, I mean, it is maintaining the same vibes as a Parks and Rec and as a Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Party Down, I think it's it's definitely funny, but I think that sadness is what makes it such a hard show uh, because there, there are these tragic elements. And uh, the show can be pretty acidic at times and not necessarily acidic toward Hollywood, but just toward the characters themselves. And there are definitely some points where I'm like, does Rod Thomas like his characters? Because uh, just some of the things that happen, especially especially to poor Ron, played by Ken Marino. I could definitely see why a network would have a really hard time with this, because while it is a comedy, there is definitely uh, that certain level of acidity that, that makes it a, a tough sell. And 
especially with someone like Rob Thomas, who probably, you know, I think if if Paul Rudd was involved with the show, obviously, I think it, it, it is on HBO. Like, this is an HBO show, and it, it definitely has a bigger budget. And uh, one, so one of the things that you mentioned is uh, the Inside Hollywood is, is this before or after Entourage started, do you know? It's definitely after Entourage. Yeah, because I feel like this, I feel like this is the kind of show that either you could pair up with Entourage or perhaps like after Entourage has finished its run, like this is the kind of show that you could run because it's kind of in a similar vein. But yeah, I, I could definitely understand the difficulty of marketing this because, you know, at this point, Adam Scott is not a star. Lizzie Kaplan is not a star. So yeah, there's uh there's some definite difficulties going on. And I think it's interesting you mentioned the Hulu thing because this show airs in, in 2009-2010 and thanks to the magic of social media I was able to find that I watched this show in either March or April of 2011 and I definitely watched it on Netflix. First of all, if your world is like mine, I literally don't know a single person who had who had stars. Like when I was a kid I had people whose parents subscribed to HBO. Maybe a couple of the more movie fanatic ones got Showtime. I don't know anybody who had stars. And if they did, it just so happens because like their cable package came with it. So that was a, a detriment in and of itself. But it then was going to Netflix. I think that's when where where most people found it, watched it because they liked the people in it from the state or Veronica Mars or whatever else. And we're like, oh, my goodness, this show is so funny. Where where the heck was this? We need more of it. Um, and I think that's where the, the cult status of the show came to was because most people like me found it through Netflix streaming at that time. I think for comedies especially, I just think it's so easy to find an audience in terms of streaming because I think people are going to be much more willing, especially now. I think people are looking for lighter TV. I, I think what ends up happening sometimes with your dramas, like – your Lord of the Rings and even your Game of Thrones, it's like, okay, I, I need to sit down and watch this to be a part of the cultural conversation. And to an extent, I think sometimes these shows become more homework than something you're enjoying. And it's like, well, I got to watch the latest Marvel episode because I got to keep track of what's going on. Whereas with comedies, it's just like, okay, I'm going to settle down here for this, for this 20 minutes to a half hour and I'm just going to enjoy it. And I think that's why, uh, shows like Rick and Morty and Archer and, um, you know, so many of these comedies have, have had these extended runs because they're easy to binge on Hulu or Netflix or what have you. And it's, it's, they're just easy watches. And I, I feel the same way. I mean, The Office is still probably one of the biggest TV shows in the world simply because of the fact that it is on streaming. And like when it was on Netflix, like it was very often the biggest show on their platform even with all the originals. It's pretty incredible to me uh, just how how these comedies can, can find audiences. And certainly Breaking Bad found an audience, I think, on Netflix, and that's a drama. But I think your comedies especially are just going to have an easier time. So it's not surprising that more people have probably watched Party Down in in the ensuing 10 years than probably when it was airing. No doubt about it. So – why don't we talk about the main cast before we get into the episodes of the show itself? So there's really six main cast members going into to season one, and that sort and that mostly holds into season two. Ron Donald, who is played by Ken Marino, is the team leader of Party Down Catering Company. We also learn he's like a former booze hound, but he's working at this catering uh, company with aspirations to open his own 
franchise of a uh, like a soup and sandwich place uh, called Soup Art Crackers. This is like I think every single person in the main cast has ties to Veronica Mars except for Casey Klein as uh, Ken Marino played Vinnie Van Lowe and Veronica Mars. And of course, for comedy fans, is best known from his time on the state. And you see a lot of people from those two shows uh, throughout the cast here. But I like Ken Marino in a lot of things. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of very memorable sketches of him in the state. But for me, this is sort of like like Vinnie Van Lowe and Ron Donald are very different characters. And I think he's such an interesting character throughout the show. But he's an interesting way to sort of anchor the team in season one as like the guy who tries to work hard but kind of is a, a, a bumbling bureaucrat in so many ways. You made a point about how you sometimes wonder if Rob Thomas likes uh, Ron Donald, and I think that is astute. Yeah, Ken Marino, this is probably – I think he's good in a lot of things, but, I mean, I think this is easily his best performance. And the thing that impressed me so much about what he was doing was not just the delivery of the lines, but specifically the physical comedy. The physical comedy is what really – uh, especially in season two, those, the, there are some episodes where he's just flailing around and screaming. And yeah, the, that, that's, that's the thing that I th- I feel like the writers discovered it. And then, uh, they just pressed that button a number of times and it worked every single time, uh, because Ken Marino is very, very good as a physical comedian. And that's not something that you see a lot. I think, I think we've gotten away from the, the physical comedians and, you know, like the Marx Brothers and Laurel and Hardy, like way back in the day, were very much into the uh, the physical comedy and Pratt Falls and things of that nature. And it was very refreshing to have somebody who is just so willing to go there. I I think You Should Leave has some elements of physical comedy, which is great, but it's not something that we see enough of. And that's one of the reasons that I enjoyed the show is because uh, Ken Marino was willing to go there. You also have those things like in uh like you know catering you have giant metal trays or or dishes and stuff you have a lot of things that can make a lot of loud noise to create awkward situations or make m- less dangerous moments seem more dangerous uh and there's a little bit of that but maybe not enough but yes Ken Marino is definitely uh, a great physical comedian in his role in this show maybe one of his more defining roles of his career I'd say um so then we get into Adam Scott's character, Henry Pollard. I remembered him from Veronica Mars in that one episode where he was the teacher who had a relationship with a student that sort of pitted uh, Keith and Veronica against each other. Obviously, of course, now probably best known for his time on Parks and Recreation. But on this show, he's a former actor and a friend of Ron. He's new to the crew as we start the season, and he's basically in between life decisions. He just finished acting. He more or less took this role to just – get some money, keep his life going as he kind of decides his next step. You had kind of mentioned to me that this felt like, and sorry if you don't want to talk about this, but this is a very relatable character for you. Yes, very much so. And I, I don't want to get into too much detail, but I definitely identify with aspects of what Adam Scott is going through. And I think what makes his character uh, so fascinating is this idea of what happens when you don't achieve your dreams, but you still have to pay the bills. And I think that there, there are ways that this show does a good job of, of kind of having him at peace with this decision while simultaneously also being annoyed um, at, at just the, the utter stupidity surrounding him, both the party guests and his coworkers. And 
the fact that he is basically, it seems like he went viral before going viral was the thing. And like, he's known for, you know, he has a catchphrase. So it's just, it's really fascinating that, you know, people often associate him with this one thing. And it's one of the great running gags of the show. And I mean, given the way that this country is, of course he would be known for just saying, uh, some of the dumbest, just one of the dumbest things ever. And of course it was a beer commercial and yeah, it just, uh, it really worked out well. And yeah, I'm a huge fan of Adam Scott. I think he is really, really good. And I think he is consistent, especially in his TV roles. I don't think he's ever really found success in movies, which is funny because I think in some ways it parallels, uh, Kristen Bell, who is, we're going to talk about later, but in some ways it feels like, like these two are really, really good in TV. And anytime they try to step into the movie realm, it just doesn't work out so well. Yeah, I think Adam Scott is really good on this. And yeah, he, he transitioned really well into Parks and Rec. And I think that's where, that's where he really found himself as a performer. He's also really good on the Apple TV show Severance, which I hope that I get to discuss on a podcast with somebody at some point because Adam Scott could very well win in a, win an Emmy for, lead actor in a drama at some point for that show. I feel like that's very possible. And uh, yeah, Adam Scott rules. That's, that's all that can be said. Then the next person on the team is Casey Klein played by Lizzie Kaplan. I think at this point, her biggest success came from being in a role in Mean Girls. Uh, She's a comedian who's taking a lot of auditions, looking for work as she's catering. Just another one of your, I mean, the rest of this team really are involved in Hollywood to a certain extent. And the catering job is just how they pay their bills and kill time in between auditions and other gigs. And she's a great sarcastic foil to uh, to Henry, who obviously they strike up a, a romantic interest over the, the course of the show, but she's like the only relatable person to Henry, at least especially at this time too, uh, for him to realize, okay, I'm not the only one who thinks what's going on here is absolutely insane. I would agree with you, but I think for me the challenge always was they portray her as a comedian, and I think this is one of the great challenges that you have with a show like this is that when you have somebody who is a comedian, how are you supposed to determine if they're funny or not? And I think the biggest problem with me is that – and this is – I want to be clear. This is not an indictment of Lizzie Kaplan. It's an indictment of the writers. I think the hu- the biggest problem is that I never get a sense of her comedy style or who she is as a comedian, like other than the fact that she – I guess did a small scene in a Judd Apatow movie that got cut. We don't really get a sense of her comedic stylings. And I think that is a huge problem. And I think an even bigger problem is that I think Rob Thomas is known for Veronica Mars. He is also known for iZombie. Both of those shows have female protagonists. So we know that he has some idea how to write female protagonists. I just never felt like the writing ever cracked her as a character either. And then a lot of her interactions were with Henry, and that's where a lot of the focus was on their relationship. And in terms of building her up as a character, I never felt like they they did they didn't do as good of a job as as I would have liked to have seen. And I I do think you get look you get some flashes of brilliance with with her sarcasm, and I think the performance I think the performance is fine. Again, I think the problem is with the writing, and not necessarily with her. Uh, as a performer, because I think she's gone on to do some really good work. I mean, I think she is a really undervalued part of Mean Girls. It's weird. She's been in a lot of TV shows 
that for whatever reason I just haven't watched and it's not out of malice. It's just there's literally too much TV out there. So it's really hard to watch everything. But I know that, you know, she is somebody who has gone on to do uh, pretty consistent work on a couple of Showtime shows. I know she was in a season of that Stephen King Hulu show. So yeah, she's, she's definitely kept working, but uh, this, this character never, this character never really did anything for me. And it's, uh, it's unfortunate. I think she got her time to shine in the, like the penultimate episode of the show. And I think there's sort of two things working both against her and really the rest of the cast uh, in this first season. One is that, uh, Rob Thomas and Dan Etheridge were kind of taken away from the show because they were both executive producing the show Cupid at the same time on NBC. And according to Rob Thomas, they were both miserable working that job. So it was really just John Enbaum who was the one who did most of the directing and on-set work. So I think, you know, we talk about Rob Thomas having no right female characters that, that I believe to be true. But I don't know. I'm not familiar with John Enbaum's work, but I don't think that – it would be interesting if Rob Thomas was able to have a more hands-on approach to the show if that character would have changed. But the truth is, is I watched a lot of season one up until like the final like two, maybe three episodes. I really felt like a lot of the main cast were just like very thin characters. Not a lot of meat or depth to any of them. Season two, they get much, much better at that. That was a prevailing thought I had about everybody. I, I know I, I know the mockumentary style is kind of played out at this point. But I think the advantage of having the mockumentary style is you get to take a moment with a character and you can kind of explore them with them directly talking to camera. And again, it is it's kind of a shortcut, but I think there are advantages to that. And part of me wonders, would a show like this have been better off on a network? And I, I, and I go back and forth on that because I think, again, you I think you maybe lose something and. There are certain things that you cannot do, but I, and again, with all the guest stars and the lack of a consistent like setting and whatnot, I think that, that, that would make this very, very difficult to do. And I can see why they didn't, but like, I think like anytime you have a comedy, it just takes time to figure it out. The first season of Parks and Rec is bad. It's not good. And you get to the second season and it's a lot better. The writers finding their voices, and then by the third season, you're rocking and rolling with that show. I think The Office is the same situation. I don't think the first season of The Office is very good, but then the second season, they toned down Mike Scott just enough to where uh, you can tolerate him as a character. And I think that I am not a fan of the show Seinfeld, but I know that a lot of people seem to think that you know Seinfeld is another show. It just takes a while to find a comedic voice because comedy comedy is so much harder to write than drama that you just have to find those specific things. And I think with a show like party down, it just took a while for them to find their voices. And I think the second season is so much better than the first season. And I think with the first season, the first season is really heavily dependent on who the guest stars are. And if you have a really good guest star, then the episode is good and if you don't have a great guest star, then I think the episode is not as great. But it, just watching the pilot, the pilot was a mess. The first episode, which I'm sure we're going to get into more specifically, but it was just, it was a very weird vibe. The second episode was much, much better. But the first episode, I was like, what is happening right now? And it just, it was a very strange beast. And again, I think 
that you do get some great guest stars in the first season, but the second season is when I think the show uh, found its voice. And I think the third season, I mean, even you mentioned Lizzie Kaplan in the penultimate episode, it felt like maybe they even found something with her as well. Right. And I guess I should have mentioned at the start, this is one of those shows where I've seen the whole thing multiple times and you've never seen it. Yeah, it's pretty wild that I've never seen this show because, I mean, it does, again, it has a lot of people that I like. It has a creator that I've watched many, many of their things. So we, uh, we are back to the old Breaking Bad dynamic of Kevin having seen, seen it and, and I, and I haven't. So yeah, uh, unfortunately, Kevin, hot take, this show, not as good as Breaking Bad. Wow. Wow. You know what? Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, we will not see you ever again. Yeah. All right. So we have the, uh, the rest of the cast to get to, we have Kyle Bradway, played by Ryan Hansen, best known, at least on this show, as Dick Casablancas from Veronica Mars. He's somebody who's like a jack of all trades. He models, he acts, he plays in a band. The handsome but kind of dumb dumb guy who also doesn't seem to be terribly successful. Uh, it's like he has all these gifts but doesn't really know how to quite put it all together. Uh, and he goes to uh, another member of the team for advice all the time. Uh, that We'll get to her in a moment, but – Really kind of felt like a different, a less mean-spirited Dick Casablancas here, but uh, good for a laugh was was Kyle slash Ryan Hansen. I think that this is probably my favorite Ryan Hansen role. I think he gets a lot to do. I think he is the glue of the show, and I think that the show is trying to find its voice. It really feels like his character is the most consistent from the beginning to end, and I think, I, I don't know if it's a performance thing or if it's the fact that, you know, Rob Thomas had just enough involvement to kind of shape this character. But I think Ryan Hansen is the most consistent. And I think it just in terms of laughs, I probably laughed at him the most in terms of just with some of the dialogue and, and some of the physical comedy as well. I think he's, uh, he's really good. And I always thought he was good on Veronica Mars, but, I, I, I sort of, there was kind of an emptiness to it, but with this, it really feels like he found something. And in, in a world where this show is a bigger deal, I feel like Ryan Hansen is somebody who would have gotten a lot of work because of it. And it feels like he would have transitioned into like a network sitcom or something like that uh, because of it. But yeah, it's just, it's unfortunate this show wasn't a bigger deal because I think he's really good on it. I completely agree. And what's interesting to me is I watched Veronica Mars after watching Party Down, and it w I was surprised how non-prominent Dick Casablancas is in that show. Yes, he's a big part of season two uh, with his brother uh, and um, Charisma Carpenter and all those things. But just in general, it's not like he's this force on that show. And I was just expecting more based on his presentation here. Um, and you're totally right. I think on a bigger network at a different time this really would have could have been a great catapult to him doing bigger and better things. Like I said, I, I watched a round table with all of them from 2019 and he still looks fantastic and is as sharp as a tack. So someone go give Ryan Hansen some work. He's vastly underrated and underutilized. Then we also have sort of like what happens to end up being uh, Kyle's nemesis throughout the show is Roman De Beers played by Martin Starr. Now, unlike everyone else on the team, he is not an actor. He is a writer and he specializes in what he likes to call hard sci-fi. And it's just a very cynical and bitter person who, despite being a huge loser, thinks he's better than everybody else. Of course, pays Stu, the big bad in the Veronica Mars movie, 
outside of, you know, seeing him in Freaks and Geeks, which is such a different character, it's more or less Martin Starr playing the same character he does in Silicon Valley, this or that. It works here. Like, his dynamic works well amongst the rest of the team. Um, and he's good at the role. Uh, but it's not like – it isn't like you – it's something you haven't seen before out of Martin Starr. And I try not to say that critically, just – you know what you're getting with Martin Starr in these roles, I think. I want to know, uh, Martin Starr would have, uh, Roman, the character, would have been Me Too out of existence, right? I think we could both assume that. Well, isn't Martin Starr sort of in that area in real life? I don't, I mean, there's other people involved with this show that we can get into that are, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, his character, uh, probably made me the most uncomfortable because, there is no way you would have a character like this if the show was being made today. And I don't know what the reboot is going to do with this character. I think they have to make some pretty significant modifications if you expect uh, an audience to not just, like, boo him off the stage. <laughs> but, yeah, his character is – boy, they just – this is another one, very similar to Lizzie Kaplan. They never figure it out, I think. I think it gets better in season two. I think they tone him down quite a bit in season two. In season one, there's one episode specifically where I was just like, please get him off. Like, I just, I did not want to see his character anymore. And we can get into the specific episode. But yeah, I mean, just a total creep. And I swear to God, this character is based off of Max Landis. I have absolutely no evidence to suggest this. But just based on the way that he speaks and knowing that Max Landis' first big script was Chronicle which was a sci-fi movie. It just, it just feels like this is Max Landis. I don't know. Again, I have no evidence to suggest that's true, but I'm sure there's a million screenwriters that this could have also been based off of, but boy, oh boy, is he a creep. I think if you take all the female element stuff out of Roman's character, like he'll be just fine in the next season. There's a lot of funny ways you can go for Like what if he's a dad now? What if he has a YouTube channel? And then the last person we have on the main team is Constance Carmel, played by Jane Lynch. She's much older than the rest of the people. She's more or less a, a, a former actress. She's overly friendly, shares crazy stories about her, her past, and she's a mentor to Kyle in many ways. She was also in a couple episodes of Veronica Mars as a teacher. Uh, we, and we only get eight episodes of Jane Lynch here, but she, uh, she definitely steals a lot of scenes with some of her craziness. Did she leave the show because of Glee? Yes. Okay, that's that's what I figured. Uh, this is probably my favorite Jane Lynch role. I think she can be very over the top, but I feel like she is just she's just right here, and I really like her performance. And I think that in a world where there is a season two with Jane Lynch's character, I think the show is even better because I think I think Jane Lynch just brings a lot to this character. I think being a mentor for Kyle, I think is really important and really helpful. And I just would have loved to have seen season two with her because I think it would have been even better because I think with the way the dynamic changes, it's like they have to figure everything out all over again to a certain extent with some of the character dynamics. But I just, I really, really liked her in this role. And yeah, when she, when she wasn't in the last couple episodes and basically only came in uh, for the final episode of season two, I was a, uh, I was a little sad because I, re- I really feel like she brought a lot to this role and was uh, a stabilizing force. And even if the character wasn't perfectly written, uh, she was just, I think she was very, very strong and significantly stronger as a character 
uh, more so than Jennifer Coolidge, who I really like, but just felt a little miscast in this in this role, and uh, Megan Mullally as well. So I do agree with you. I'd love to see her in season two. Getting Megan Mullally, and I like the, what her actor brings such a different dynamic to the table. It's not just another actor. And I thought Megan Mullally hit a home run in season two. Now, if there was a way to have them both coexist together on the team, I'm all for it. And I think we're going to see that in the reboot. But I think there was a little bit of a blessing in disguise getting Megan Mullally for season two. And it makes me wonder if season two would have been as good if he didn't have the character change. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe Jane Lynch was addition by subtraction. Like, yeah, she was really good, but maybe a lot of other characters to shine to an extent. Um, I think I'm a little bit more mixed on Megan Mullally. I think there's a couple episodes I think she's really good in. And I think that, again, with her kind of coming in the middle, I just think it's it's a tough thing to to come in like this after Jane Lynch has done such a great job and to kind of essentially being being the replacement, I think, is uh, – it's really tough. And it's always hard, right? Like if just with replaced. the just with the dynamics in general, because it's like Henry is also running party down at the beginning of season two, so it's just it, there's there's a lot of differences. But sure, uh, I think she uh, Megan Mullally does get some uh, time to shine. But yeah, I think that's it for the main cast, right? You're right, and we'll get into the episodes. And I give you a little bit of a homework assignment for each episode. Did you complete said assignment? Yes, uh, I wrote down. I. I I didn't really write down my favorite lines because I don't – that's not what I would – I don't want this podcast to do that. But I did write down moments that I remembered and things of that nature. Okay. So I asked Jerome to write down his favorite scene and favorite quote as I feel like that's a, a good encapsulation of each episode. So I'll go down a brief synopsis of each episode and tell you the guest stars in each one. And, I'm, and there's some where I'm not going to hit every guest star because some I didn't even recognize or I looked at their IMDb and they really hadn't done much in general. So, But if there's one where I'm like, I feel like you're a bigger person – I wrote them down, but otherwise some just got left to the wayside. So it's not comprehensive. But I, what I also like is that the episode titles tell you exactly what the episode is. So season one, episode one is the Willow Canyon Homeowners Annual Party. This is Henry's first day at work. He's You get to see sort of like the world of party down through his eyes as Ron is being racially insensitive to guests despite recently taking racial sensitivity training. You see Roman pranking Kyle to think he got an acting job where his character would have undergone chemo, so he shaves off an eyebrow. You have him and Casey getting along, and then her husband comes to the party because they got in an argument, and then you learn about Henry's past, why everyone recognized him, and that's because once upon a time he was in a beer commercial, and he had the line of, are we having fun yet? And that becomes uh, something that looms large over him for the rest of the show. It leads to one of the saddest post credit scene in the show where he gets a sad hand job from somebody in a car. This is an it's an interesting first episode because I think a lot of first episodes are kind of like a gut check where if there's certain things you don't like or are comfortable with, you're you may have bowed out. And maybe, Jerome, if we weren't doing this podcast, you would have watched this and that would have been it for you. I don't know. I Like I said, I am somebody who believes that you have to give comedies time and space to succeed so I think I would have continued on, but this, uh, this is a very rough episode of television. I think there are just some things that flat out don't work. There are things that haven't aged well. Um, I mean, we get Enrico Calatani, who I'm always excited to see. I Hell just, yeah. I love him as a character actor, but boy, in this episode, it just, it didn't click for me at all. And I don't know. I, this is, it was just rough. Like, that's all I can say about it. 
I think the one I could say that Kyle and Constance's relationship being established, I think that was a huge positive. I do like when Ken Marino talks about saying uh, that Mexican isn't offensive, but then goes on to say very mildly offensive things. Uh, that's that's good stuff. The line that always sticks to me as the most memorable is uh, saying to Henry about the amount of alcohol served in drinks. I don't want you serving them to jiggers. And in the background, there's two black people who overhear that comment. That to me is like one of the most memorable lines in the entire show and is a very great summation of, of Ron trying to do his best and well. Sometimes you hear things that aren't really there. I feel like with these Los Angeles parties, I know that we like to consider California this bastion of liberal sensitivity, but I feel like you would just hear horrific things at some of these parties. You've got a ton of rich white people. How could you not? Yeah, I mean, of course. Uh, but yes, uh, Enrico as Gordon, the unhappy male owner of the house who gets drunk and jumps in the pool naked at the end. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm the asshole. I'm the asshole here trying to go for a swim. I feel like any time there is a giant pool, if somebody doesn't end up in the pool, it's a huge disappointment. It's the same thing whenever there's cake in wrestling or whenever there's a trophy. If somebody doesn't go in the cake or if the trophy isn't destroyed, then why the hell would you ever – why would you do it? And when somebody went in the pool, I checked that off. I was like, okay, show, you did it. You 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 cleared that very low bar. You just – you put you, – you throw people in the pool, man. Like why else would you have it? Right, absolutely. Uh, was that your favorite scene? I would say that I would say that Ken Marino talking about just that opening scene uh, with Ron, just talking about going through racial sensitivity training and kind of establishing who he is and kind of being a bureaucrat and starting the running gag about super crackers. Uh, it's uh, it's good stuff, and I think it's it's funny to me that because I think whenever you have a comedy like this, it's like. You're trying to really balance this idea of, okay, we're going to do something that's just slightly absurd. So we're not going to say like coffee or something, but soup and salad is like just plausible enough. And I think it works out well. And what a great name. Super Crackers. Of course, that's what you would call it. Well, I'll get to that in a few episodes about what the name could have been. My favorite scene also was involving Ron, but it was the scene – where Kyle and the daughter of the family like burst into her bedroom and, and to make out and she sees Ron in her bathroom, what she thinks is him jerking off, but he's just vigorously rubbing one of those stain removal sticks on his pants. When she calls him out, he's like, no, 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 I was, I was just rubbing something out. I used my, my stick on your mom this morning. She thought it was amazing. Uh, how could I not laugh at that, Jerome? I'm a grown child. What do you, what do you want from me? I think that the show also really embraces the idea of the farce, and there is a very specific episode uh, that is that also develops into a farce. But we don't we don't have enough farces anymore, and I feel like that's just the way the comedy is. This comedy is much more improv, and with a farce, you have to be very tight and very well written. Uh, I just I want to bring farces back, Kevin. That's that's what I want to do. I think that's a good goal. Uh, and then my favorite quote I think is a very underrated uh, moment in the show is when Henry and Casey are talking to each other and Casey mentions something about Henry's shirt. And he's like, I was going for the helpful gay pirate look. And she just says, you don't look helpful. Outstanding stuff. That's a, that's a very good line of dialogue. Yes. So episode two, which you liked much more, the California College Conservative Union Caucus. Oh, this is man, another- I love this one. This is a fun dynamic. You had the team catering like a college conservative 
uh, group caucus where Arnold Schwarzenegger was supposed to be a special guest. The gifts they're giving go all wrong. Roman accidentally stains this U.S. flag they were going to give and tries to clean it, and then it gets bleached out, so he tries to desecrate a real U.S. flag to cover up from it. Uh, Ron talks about the cigars they're getting getting Cuban, which gets to a big argument with the whole group, and then they got to buy new cigars. But in the meantime, Casey's also contemplating moving to Vermont with her husband, uh, and Henry gets advice from the fellow conservatives about what to do next in his life and ends up telling Casey that he thinks she should stay. And for context, again, her and her husband got in this big fight the episode before. Now she's thinking about moving to Vermont because his job takes him there, but that's sort of her leaving behind her aspirations. So that's a backdrop story to the more funnier story of what Ron getting caught up in the whole thing with the conservative class. So since you like this episode so much, uh, tell me what you liked about it. Before I do that, Kevin, I have a very important question for you. Where were all these people on January 6th? I think disparate locations. But Are, you, are we sure that most of them were not in Washington, D.C.? Some of them the were in the Capitol. You know, I mean, I feel like a lot of values and stuff for even certain conservatives changed by then, but not all of them. It, it would be maybe the ones that surprised you the most, like Josh Gad and maybe the gay guy were there at Storm in the Capitol, but not – Ryan I mean, Einstein I'm sure a couple of them would be ca- cashing in on Never Trumpers and things of that nature as well. There you go. I I think that this episode is so good because they don't they never go for the obvious joke, and I really appreciate that. Uh, they very easily could have just turned this into a bashing of conservatives. And look, I think I, I do that in my real life enough. I don't necessarily need to see that in my comedy. And I just I really like this episode for that reason. Specifically, there is a moment when they talk about a black person not being able to vote. And they the reason that he can't vote is because he is Canadian and not because he's black. And I just chef's kiss on that. Like, I can't I cannot do any of these jokes justice. But that was a really good one. And the look on his face, too, was uh, was very good as well. Well, I'm going to pause you there because that is my favorite quote of the episode as Constance gets offended on this behalf of their backwards views, thinking they won't let a black guy vote. And he says, no, he's from Canada. And she just goes, and since when is Toronto not a part of the United States of America? <laughs> Josh Gad is also really good in this in this role. It's very different. I think I think Josh Gad has kind of this persona now, like he's the Disney guy. He's he's Olaf. He's a Book of Mormon. He's the musical guy. But seeing him in this role, I really like to see him do something different because it just feels like he is he's got this persona now. And I will say the same thing about another guest star that we're going to be talking about later. But it's 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 sometimes fun to see these uh, to see performers like before they before they like figure themselves out and they're just doing different things. Like sometimes you, you end up doing you end up with more interesting characters and more interesting performances. And I think this is a really good example of that. Uh, Josh Gad is a really good guest star. Uh, but we also have a couple of Veronica Mars connections that I assume you're going to bring up. Yes. So I mentioned Ryan Pinkston. I remember him from Punked back in the day. He's done some other stuff, but two Veronica Mars mentions, and we have a, a couple at here. We have Jason Doring, who played Logan Eccles in Veronica Mars, and then Alana Tall, who played Meg Manning on Veronica Mars. So not only just two Veronica Mars guest stars, but two pretty big names from that show as guest stars in this episode. I'm just glad that Jason Doring didn't get blown up. Well, you know, we'll see what, what comes in the reboot, my friend. Oh, my God. I... <laughs> 
I was literally thinking about that as I was watching uh, this episode and then the finale. I was like, uh, if Rob Thomas brings us back, I hope he doesn't blow him up because he kind of blew Veronica Mars up. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, that's true. And Veronica Mars was never heard from again. That's right. Uh, so my favorite quote was a Constance quote. And so my favorite scene was one, too. When they have the, the argument over the Cuban cigars, Josh Gad's character makes Ron go buy some American cigars, and so he sends Constance to do it. And when she comes back, she says, you know, I was going to buy those American cigars, but then the guy at the store talked me into buying these amazing Cuban cigars that are even better. And Ron just says, all right, just take them out of the package and take the rolling off. Her coming back and being so proud with the same Cuban cigars they needed to replace was just so well done. And yes. it, it still makes me laugh thinking about it. That was my, yeah, favorite. it's uh it's really good stuff. And I really like Martin Starr in this episode as well. I think there's some later episodes where he's not as good, but I, uh, I think he does a very good job in this one too. And episode three is the pepper McMaster's single seminar. The crew is initially excited about doing a single seminar. Cause Hey, maybe that means some action for them. And then are very disappointed when it's a senior single seminar, they are catering. And there's this old fling of Constance is there, Bruce, so she at first has little memory of, uh, but later gets high with him and Henry in the bathroom. Uh, Roman gets gross with Henry and says that he has first dibs on Casey when she inevitably splits up with her husband. And then you have a very drunk Casey and a very high Henry having sex in one of the rooms. Uh, and Kyle at one point gives Roman a boner pill as a prank. And wouldn't you know it, it happens to take effect when he's hugging Casey at a time in the show. I kind of even forgot about a lot of this till I just read the recap, but now I, I I more understand a lot of the creepiness with Roman. I wasn't even thinking about this when we talked about that, but yeah, stuff like this has to go away in the reboot for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I really like this episode as well. Uh, the great Ed Bigley Jr. I just feel like, Kevin, we're just going to be talking about Ed Bigley Jr. Uh, in perpetuity as well, and uh, he's so good. This is so different. Well, we talked about him, Veronica Mars. He was a dean, very straight-laced. He was a lawyer on Better Call Saul, very straight-laced. Here, he is the horniest man alive, and it is wonderful. It ruled. Yeah, that was – he was a treat seeing him here. It's always a treat seeing Ed Begley Jr., but it's something so different. It's especially so good. And like you said, Cyrus O'Dell and Veronica Mars, Cliff Main and Better Call Saul. And then we have Mary Lou Henner as Pepper McMasters uh, from her time of Taxi and a bunch of other movies. Uh, also great in her role here. Mary Lou Henner is an all-timer for so many reasons, and uh, I'll leave it at that. But she is very good. She is she's very good on Taxi. She's very good in this role, and let's uh, let's leave it at that. Uh, so my favorite scene was the heart attack scene with Bruce that ends up with. Oh my god! Yes, this, I wrote this down as well. Yes. <laughs> okay, and then just a simple quote is when. It's Ron who comes to the bathroom, and that's when Constance, Bruce, and Henry are smoking. And he's like, it stinks like pot in here. What are you doing? And he just says, pot? As soon as I saw the police officer, I was like, okay, these are both strippers, aren't they? And, <laughs> and sure enough. And sure enough, they were. Uh, when Ted Marino just rips the clothes off and then tries to give CPR, that is just A-plus stuff. Uh, yeah, just I, I really like this uh, episode because – Again, I think whenever you cast Ed Bigley Jr., you're just you are you are heightening the quality of the show, and I think that he really he really makes this into something very very special. And I, I would almost say if you were to start this show and you're like, because I'm I'm very cold on the first episode, I would almost tell you to start with this episode instead because I think it gives you a much better idea 
of what the show is, is supposed to be. And just in terms of the interactions and some of the comedy, and I, I like episode two a lot, but I think this show is much closer to the spirit of what they're trying to do. I agree. And episode four may not be in totally in the spirit, but I really like the episode two for what it is. It's an investor's dinner. They're catering and you get like Casey uh, apologizing to Henry about the sex. And then he gets in her head by saying it was only adequate. And they end up agreeing to have continue having casual sex going forward. Kyle befriends someone who recognized him from TV, but that person belittles Constance. So I really like that in the end, Kyle ultimately bails on that person and sticks with Constance. I like that ending. But the real crux of this episode is Henry figuring out that the investment the host is pitching is a complete scam and has to end up exposing him because Ron is about to invest the 10 grand he saved for a Super Crackers franchise to this guy. And when Henry calls him out, the whole ends up pulling a gun. But earlier in the episode, Constance brought a prop gun to work, so Ron thinks that's what it is and then ends up crumbling and peeing himself when Roman points out that it's actually him who has the fake gun. It's a very interesting heightened ending uh, to go out on, but you get the Chekhov's gun thing paying off in a very interesting, different way. But I also just like the reveal of the scam and how everything comes together. So as soon as Constance brought out the gun, I was like, uh, this is a Chekhov's gun situation. And then it is literally brought up that this is Chekhov's gun. So I really appreciated uh, the self-acknowledgement of what they're doing with the gun, and it is a an absolute tremendous payoff. I love that this episode really showcases how intelligent Henry is, that he's not just some rube, and that there is there is some depth to his character, and the fact that he is the one that is able to identify this as a pyramid scheme, and the fact that they're ultimately like, you know what, they're rich people, who cares? And I feel like this is very accurate to a very specific kind of California thing, I just feel like there's all these kinds, these types of people. And if it's not real estate, it's an app, it's something else. So I feel like there is a real culture around this that they're, that they're hinting at. And I think they, uh, they do a very good job because again, it's like they're rich people. So it kind of doesn't matter, but because Ron, like as hapless as Ron is, like you do feel uh, some sympathy for him, but I, I really liked this episode a lot. Uh, Not as much, as number three, but the the gun stuff just really gave this episode a purpose that I think even the first two episodes maybe didn't have. So it really gave you something to pay off. And I like that. That opening scene you talked about where Roman's getting annoyed with Kyle and Constance because of like, I think he says like these mentions Chekhov's gun and they're confusing him with the Star Trek character. That to me is my favorite scene. Just the, any like that's, I think that's one of the, the good things about big Lebowski, just the, the engine of the idea of like three people who aren't listening to each other is very funny. And I just have two people who aren't listening to Roman is also very funny to me. Uh, and then Roman also has my quote of the episode where Ron talks about how, you know, later you're going to be Googling and seeing how successful I am. And he says, the only way I'll be Googling you in 10 years is if you come up with a very creative way to kill yourself. Very, very Roman kind of line to have. It is a very Roman thing for him to say that. What about you? What was your favorite scene? I would say the scene where Ron is Ron thinking that it's a prop gun and putting the gun up to his face. Again, just the physical comedy that he is able to employ here. I just think it works out. A lot of my favorite scenes are going to involve Ron just because I really do admire the physical comedy. Because again, it's something that 
like I feel like when we talk about comedies, like lines of dialogue are there constantly. And I think that it's like, it's the lines that you're mentioning are really good. But to me, the things that stand out are the physical comedy because I don't think we get as much of that. So that's going to be reflected in favorite moments and scenes. And, and it's funny you say that because I actually don't have a favorite quote for the next episode, but I do have a favorite scene. And this episode is the Sin Shea Sun after party. It's a porn awards after party. And it's actually the first time we get to see the CEO of Party Down, Alan Duck, who tells Ron it's not a good time to open a Super Crackers franchise. But on the plus side, it's discovered that he apparently has a huge dong and a porn director is interested in pitching him to a Korean porn company. And that all goes south when he gets hit in his large dong with one of the porn award statues. But later, Constance tells Ron that she saw Alan looking through his business proposal after all. Casey's really sad about everything going down with her husband, so she takes ecstasy to improve her mood, and she wants Henry to take some so they can enjoy their time together high. But when he finally finds some, Casey's high has turned her being sick. There's just some terrible awkwardness with Roman and the porn stars ruining Kyle's fun throughout the episode. There is one good scene with that that we can talk about and some craziness in the guest stars here, but... What did you think of the episode? This is undoubtedly my least favorite episode of the entire run. I think it's one of those cases where this just, it hasn't aged very well. I think at the time I probably wouldn't have even noticed some of the things that bothered me about this. But I, I just think the way that porn is talked about and porn is written about, it's um, it's not great. And I think it's it can be very problematic at times. The selling by Ron of the of the ball shot is is all time great, like just absolutely incredible. And I mean, it's it's so good. And I, I have such a deep admiration for what Ken Marino did here. And I think one of the things that this immediately brought to mind was uh, football to the groin from The Simpsons. I think I even sent that to you after watching this episode. But I mean, my goodness, just that that almost makes this episode worth watching by itself. Everything else about this episode, not as good. The drug stuff doesn't really do much for me. I think that is a trope that is extremely played out at this point. I don't know, again, if I would have felt differently watching this in 2009, but the drug stuff didn't really do a lot for me. And again, the porn star stuff was just, the the idea of doing porn is not gross, but the way that they talk about uh, the performers and whatnot and Roman stuff especially, just it really bothered me. I think this is one of those episodes where they're like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if they did a porn awards? And wouldn't it be funny if it turned out Ron had a huge dick? And then it was like, how do we fill in the rest of the episode? And I, and I think Ron having a huge dick is funny. Like, I think that is a really funny idea. And if I'm Ken Marino, I'm like, absolutely. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course. Say I have a huge dick. Go for it. Um. But I, but I will say, I mean, your point is well taken because my favorite scene is the is the mid credit scene where Henry is on ecstasy and he's arguing over the text on the cover of a porn DVD he's taking way too literally. So the fact that my favorite scene has nothing to really do with much of the rest of the episode and is Henry being very high says a lot about the episode itself. I almost wish if they do the reboot, they almost like redo this episode because I think there is a funny there is a funny version that they can do. This just wasn't it, and I assume that we're going to talk about Stormy Daniels? Oh, we sure are, but let's talk about the other two guests first. You have Ken Jong as the Party Down CEO, Alan Duck, tons of stuff he's done. Beth Dover is the depressing porn star named Cramsey, who – this is one thing of Roman I thought was funny. He had the chance to hook up with her, but he got way too in his own head about hard sci-fi that he blew it for himself, 
that is something I think is kind of funny. And she plays the role very well. And she's actually married to uh, Joe Latruglio, who we see in another episode. But obviously the guest star, who I completely forgot who was even in this episode, and my jaw dropped when I saw her, was that of Stormy Daniels. Not really sure what she's been up to since this episode. Uh, well, we know she's um, pretty infamous, I would say, and it's not even her fault. Like, I just think it's one of those – it's a really weird situation because when you have apparently had sex with a former president of the United States and that former president of the United States is probably a multiple-time rapist, it's – uh it puts it puts her in a in a very weird spot because again i am somebody who believes that sex work is work and that any criticism of stormy daniels is basically illegitimate because i mean she's she's doing her job with two consenting adults with two consenting adults do in the privacy of the bedroom or whatever is none of my business but it was a, it was a profoundly strange experience to see her kind of before all of this and I think he's he has been like he's done small roles in other things, right? Yeah, I believe that's true. Well, you mentioned that Ron being hit in the dick was your favorite scene, so we'll move on to episode six, Taylor Stiltskin's Sweet Sixteen. I love that this episode sort of does a twist on like your classic eighties high school movie where you got this girl who's really sad because nobody but the loser showed up to her birthday party. She ends up having fun with them and then the cool kids show up. And like any other 80s movie, they'd all be partying together. But instead, she ditches the losers and goes with the cool kids. And I love that twist, like turning them down as soon as the the popular kids show up. To me, that's a very fun twist on what that story would be. And it's also the first episode where we see that Henry might consider taking on acting again, as he has a former acting buddy of his is there. Uh, the The parents of the girl for this are in Hollywood. And so they have this actor there who's working on a project and he talks to the director and who ends up not going for Henry in the end, but it's the first sort of glimpse you take of maybe Henry isn't done with acting. And then Ron gets a really serious secondhand high from uh, hanging out with the rappers hired for the party. And Kyle's in pain due to getting his teeth whitened, which affects him when he tries to hook up with Taylor's stepmom. A lot going on here, but th- I think this is one of the episodes where you might be alluding to where the guest stars sort of make the episode. I'm glad that you talked about the plot. And I want to be clear. I think the plot of this episode is really good. I agree with you wholeheartedly about the twist and how that plays off. I think I complimented Ken Marino's physical comedy. I think that Ryan Hansen's physical comedy is excellent here. in That scene uh, with Joey Lauren Adams, but I, I have to be honest, like when JK Simmons opens the episode and he is just, coming out of the gate shooting fastballs 100 miles per hour with just he's playing a producer that is that's an asshole but clearly knows what he's doing and is good at his job just the lines of dialogue i I can't even do them justice and i I, i'm sure that your favorite quote is is from him and good luck trying to deliver but just having jk simmons he's in like eight minutes of the episode but boys he is just absolutely spectacular and he is, uh, he's very much channeling J. Jonah Jameson energy from the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, but just undoubtedly my favorite guest star. And as soon as he made an appearance in a future episode, I was like, fuck yes. He's great. I love J.K. Simmons. He is the absolute best part. And I say this, and I say this because I think my, one of my other favorite guest stars is actually in this episode. And you're going to be surprised by, by who it is. And, 
Uh, but J.K. Simmons rules in this in this one. He does, and I'll tell you. So my favorite quote said basically anything J.K. Simmons says. So I didn't even check a specific one, but I did have to point the Roman blo- uh, quote of "People care what I think." I have a prestigious blog, sir. That's me in my life when talking wrestling with people. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that, that's how it should be. So the so the guest stars you mentioned J.K. Simmons, Joey Lauren Adams. I think we probably best know her from the Kevin Smith's View Ask Universe. She's the stepmom who who uh, Kyle tries to hook up with. Brecken Meyer is the actor friend here. This is one of the only two episodes that I have commentary on them, and I listened to it. And Brecken Meyer, when he took this role, said, "I just am going to do a Matthew McConaughey impression the whole time." So part of me invites people <laughs> to rewatch this episode and just realize that's what Brecken Meyer is doing this whole episode. And then the two rappers, one of them is played by Terrell Ramsey, who was in the television series Weeds, and Kevin Fucking Hart, one of the biggest comedians in the entire world. I really like Kevin Hart in this role. I just feel like the problem with Kevin Hart is he has a persona now, and he is never going to step outside of that persona. I think in this role, I think he's great. The way that he plays off of Ken Marino, it has such a different vibe than anything else that I've seen Kevin Hart in. And I know that we did have a chance to uh, talk a little bit about him with Undeclared. And I felt similarly, I think this is a better version of that, of that. Um, but yeah, I really liked Kevin Hart in this, in this role. And I think he's really good and just, he's very low key, but also like, it just feels like he's actually giving a performance and acting and not just playing Kevin Hart. Something else they mentioned in the commentary, this was sort of reiterated in the, in the round table was nobody was making money on this show. Everybody was working for a very nominal amount of money to do the show. And they talked about how people like J.K. Simmons and Kevin Hart worked basically for scale or underscale to do their roles. But, I mean, that's what happens when you use your connections. And I think they said they sent J.K. the script, and within a page or two, he was like, I'm in. So kudos to these people for either it's something they believed in or they did some you know, favor for a friend or, you know, it's, it's a day or two of work in a place I already live. What's the, what's the harm? But uh, that's why it's interesting to see, like, Gosh, they got these huge names to do it, and you realize like a lot of them was it was a lot of calling in favors and do it to do the show on the cheap. But something well, and, we, it's one of, and it's one of those things you want to come out, hang out on a boat for a day. Of course, you're going to do that. Absolutely, pretend to be high. So I, I do mean, want to I'm talk sure about. That. To do, I'm sure he did not have to do a lot of pretending. Who specifically? Uh, Kevin Hart. Racist. <laughs> I mean, it just it it doesn't like I don't care. I'm not indicting him. I just – I don't care if you smoke weed or not, but come on. Come on. All right. So you talked about Super Crackers being like this idea and like you like the name of the restaurant. But they were actually going to have the restaurant named after a real-life restaurant. Have you heard of the restaurant Soup Plantation? No, I have not. Have you heard of the restaurant Sweet Tomatoes? No. Okay. They're the same restaurant. But Soup Plantation, one word, is the name – it was – it closed – because of the COVID pandemic, because it's essentially, you know, a buffet style salad place was a real restaurant. And they were going to have that be the name of the place that Ron wanted to open. So you may remember there's this interaction between Kevin Hart, Tail Ramsey and Ron in this episode where they make jokes about like why black people don't go to these types of restaurants, things like that. Well, it's because the conceit of it was going to be, it's called soup plantation. And so a lot of those jokes about like, Oh, you, you know, I see a place called where the last word is crackers. I'm not going in there. It makes me wonder, you know, if it was actually called Sue Plantation, the, the scene may have been even funnier than it was when they were talking about it. But 
That was the name of a real a real restaurant that was called Sweet Tomatoes in other parts of the country for obvious reasons, and now it is no mas, uh, thanks to thanks to COVID. I cannot imagine eating at a buffet ever again after the pandemic. That's for sure. Same. And my favorite scene was Ron getting was when he first interacts with the rappers and he's slowly getting very high uh, as he's asking <laughs> him what food they want. Yeah. And anything that J.K. Simmons says, yeah, this was uh, this is really good. Then you have the Brandex corporate retreat where both Henry and Roman are jealous because guest speaker Rick Fox is flirting with Casey as he tries to help her or as she helps him with his speech. And Ron, who's fed up with the behavior of his team, tries to hold his own team building exercise as they're catering the retreat. And that goes all wrong when they're playing this game where they're speaking out as they're passing out the passing around a ball. Casey gets called around for sleeping around by Roman. And she thinks she's talking about sleeping with Henry when he really means Rick Fox. And then that gets into a fight. And all this ends up with Henry accepting a business card from a guest he befriended from Brand X to possibly get a job. And sadly, that job turns to be out a, a telemarketing job, and the guy there uh, recognizes Henry as the "Are we having fun yet?" guy. I only really know Rick Fox as being the guy who delay, who dated Eliza Dushku, but I know he's a, a basketball person. Uh, he is both a basketball player and one of the most beautiful human beings alive. I will have you know. He is very handsome. Listen, not any schlub gets to get date Elijah Dushku. I'll just say that. Uh, I think, yeah, Rick Fox is best known for his time on the Los Angeles Lakers because he won a number of championships with them and has since uh, gone on to pursue acting. And I know that he has done other roles in addition uh, to this one. I think my favorite moment of the episode is when he is standing and talking to somebody and this fan is just reciting statistics and things. I was getting Chris Farley show vibes from... Uh, from that, and uh, it was just really funny because, of course, a sports fan cannot handle themselves around uh, a professional athlete. So I thought that was really amusing. I think Rick Fox was perfectly charming. I don't like. I don't think he was a great actor, but I also don't think he took away from anything that was happening. And he's a very naturally charismatic dude, and I think it just it works out really well. And I think he is the perfect person to have because, like. For stuff for an event like this, you're not going to get like a Kobe Bryant or a Shaquille O'Neal. You're going to get Rick Fox. Like you're going to get somebody who is moderately successful, who was a huge part of the Lakers, but is obviously not a star. And so, yeah, I think I think this is a good episode. This I would say not as good as like episode six, but definitely really solid. I really like some of the moments in here, just making Martin Starr jealous and. As soon as Ron was like, okay, I'm going to do team building, I was like, well, this is going to end up in disaster. And, of course, it did in glorious fashion. Kevin, the lesson that I took away from this episode, don't do team building. It's stupid. Don't do it. Nobody likes it. Nobody does like it. As, as an HR professional, I could say there would be much different ways I would I would have gone about stuff like this. So my favorite scene was actually the interview at the end uh, with, uh, where that turned into the telemarketing job. But – during that team building when things are getting tense, I really liked when Henry said, Casey, you left your phone in Rick Fox's room. And Ron says, that's not a suggestion. He goes, okay, Casey shouldn't leave phones in Rick Fox's room. And on top of Rick Fox, the two guest stars were Rob Corddry was the guest that Henry had befriended. I think his his fame really came together when he was a Daily Show correspondent 
You know, he does Children's Hospital, Hot Tub Time Machine, all this stuff. And of course, he's, uh, was on Ballers with, uh, with Dwayne Johnson. And then Nelson Franklin is the guy at the end who interviews Henry. He was on a couple episodes of The Office and he wasn't Scott Pilgrim versus the world. So I like Nelson Franklin. It's wild to think that The Rock was on an HBO show for like five seasons and it feels like a fever dream at this point because of course The Rock is objectively one of the biggest movie stars in the world and he was just on this random HBO show for five seasons. Yeah, that is kind of wild to think about. An episode eight is called Celebrate Ricky Sargalouche. It's this like purposely vague what is this party thing because there's this realization where it's suspected that they're celebrating one of the the patrons getting away with murder, which is really bad for Henry because he just made out with the supposed murderer's uh, girlfriend in the parking lot. But the thing is, is that this is – I believe they're supposed to be Armenians here. They watch a shitload of television and movies apparently, and they recognize Constance and Kyle. They recognize Henry as the We Are Having Fun Yet guy. They recognize Casey from this, this stand-up showdown thing they did, and now they're all partying with them. And when they realize that Roman is a TV writer, the supposed murderer has him read a script. This leaves Ron to basically do all the work as the others are more or less joined in on the party. When Roman is reading the script, he thinks it's a confession of the murder and that he's going to murder somebody else. And when they – I love that they, they mention it to the one guy who they think it is because uh, it's someone with glasses. And then as they're leaving, someone else puts on their glasses for the first time and they realize they have the the wrong person. This to me was a super fun episode to watch, and the fact that Henry – my favorite scene is when Henry ends up leaning into the are we having fun yet thing because he's just so afraid of being killed or whatever himself that he's actually owning it for the first time. Some really good stuff amongst this episode. I think the plot of this episode is really funny and the payoff of what happens with when he puts on the glasses, like the realization, the look on his face – that was really good. I really like some of the script stuff where he asks about syntax and whatnot. I think for me, the thing that was distracting about this episode was, so you cast Steven Weber. Steven Weber is really good. He's been in a million TV shows, like so many people, like Ed Bigley Jr., who's also been on a million TV shows. Like, I get why you cast Steven Weber, but I don't get why you cast him. And then he does this weird, he does the accent. Like, it was, Steven Weber was almost a distraction and a deterrent from me enjoying the rest of the episode because it was just, it, it felt very out of place, but I do agree with you that the, the crux of the episode is very good. And there's some really funny stuff. And I didn't mention any of the other actors aside from Steven Weber, because again, you look through IMDb and there's really not much, no, uh, you know, that jumps out to me anyways. Uh, but my favorite quote is also Steven Weber. Just the way he says with the a- accent, asking about the syntax of his script. Of all the things for for him to to ask about or care about in his script, that feels like a question I might ask you about one of my papers. <laughs> yes, which boy oh boy, am I am I super excited to never read one of your papers again? Not because I they're bad. Did you have a favorite scene here? Uh, I just think the 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 ending payoff where he just has this look on his face of like, oh boy, this person is uh, is is going to be killed. It's uh, it's really funny stuff. Oh, yeah, the wrong guy with glasses. Yeah, good stuff. Episode nine is one of my favorite episodes of the show. The James Rolfe High School 20th reunion where Ron, for some reason, has this idea in his head that by catering his own 20th year high school reunion, he's going to be seen as cool or whatever. 
obviously goes horribly wrong. Everyone thinks he's a loser. He's mostly remembered by his classmates for this big puking incident he had and for being friends with a guy named Don who we meet and is someone who hasn't grown up at all since high school. He is flirting with the former class president and event coordinator through the night and gets upset because he catches her hooking up with another former classmate named Mark, who uh, also tells Ron that everyone is laughing at him, which results in Ron getting super drunk and chugging a bottle of liquor in front of everyone. And Mark blows off Melinda after telling her he's married and almost kisses Ron. And easily, 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 my favorite scene of the episode is Ron, instead of them kissing, puking all over the parking lot and weakly calling for an ambulance as she's sitting there crying. It doesn't get more pathetic and thus more funny to me than that. That's Ron's story. This might be Ken Marino's best. Like this, it like if if he were to put like his best work forth, this might be it because uh, he is just so good. I don't know. This is my favorite episode. I don't like it as much as like episode six or even episode four too. But this is still a really good one for. This is just a, such a great showcase for Ken Marino, and that's and that's why this episode works. Like if it wasn't for Ken Marino. I don't think this episode works at all, but just what he is able to do is kiss, kiss, tremendous. And uh, all I can say, Kevin, the lesson that you take away from this episode, and maybe you shouldn't have to watch this episode, don't go to your high school reunion. Bad idea all around. Uh, I didn't. My tenure was a few years ago, and it was at some, like, it wasn't even at the high school. It was at just some, like, random bar restaurant or something, and I was like, I'm not going to that. I, every, the, like, the two people from my high school I still talk to. That's all I need. I have no reason to go to my reunion. So like, that's that. That's the thing. It's like any people that you are that you want to be talking about from high school, you're still talking to. Totally. Other things happening in this episode is Casey uses Don, the person who still lives at home with his parents, as an example to Henry, because Henry is thinking about quitting and going back to live with his parents too, as he figures out the next step of his life. And she eventually builds up the courage to tell Henry that she wants him to stay with the team. And then this is where we get Constance being written off. We're told she's uh, off with a gentleman named Zoltan and her roommate, Bobby, who is played by Jennifer Coolidge replaces her for the last two episodes. She's fine, a total weirdo and she's fine. And now an Emmy award winner, as it turns out. She is really, really good in white Lotus. I really like her performance there. Absolutely deserved an Emmy for that. Look, she is always going to be known as the person who, basically invented the word MILF because of American Pie. And she has talked in interviews about getting a lot of sex from it. And I say, good for her. With all that being said, I don't think she works in this role. And I think the fact that she is only in the final two episodes, I think, speaks to that. She's a weirdo in a way that doesn't jive with the rest of the cast. And it just, I, I just don't think it works. And I don't think that that's necessarily an indictment of Jennifer Coolidge because, again, there's a lot of stuff that I really do like her in. This this just wasn't the right this wasn't the right uh, role for her. So that's that's all I can really say. Totally, and I think that's why she isn't back for season two. But they really just needed somebody to fill in that last role as as um, yeah. Jane Lynch got pat, cast for Glee. So she was fine to, to patch in that that hole for these last two seasons. But yes, then she's not even back for season two at all. So yeah, lots of guest stars here. On top of that, you have Joe Latruglio as as Don here, the the friend who still lives with his parents. Uh, I believe he says he lives in Reseda, California. Isn't that right? He lives in Reseda, California. So there's both the distinct possibility that 
he knows my other co-host, Brian DeBrain, or he could be getting involved with karate because of Cobra Kai. He 100% went and purchased several pictures at the Reseda Legion, uh, American Legion Hall uh, at some point in his life. See, and I was saving the PWG reference for you. Okay, well, there we go. Obviously, he was someone who was also on the state and gained – finally got like his big break with Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Molly Parker play, plays Melinda. She was in Deadwood and House of Cards. Kyle Bornheimer was both in the Veronica Mars movie and was Ken Wins in the Breaking Bad universe. He just has that look where he's an a-hole, and so he's cast as an a-hole a lot of the times. Uh, and then, I mean, sometimes you have to embrace what you're good at. Like, you look like an asshole. Just be an asshole. A thousand percent agree with that sentiment. And then my favorite quote is I, when Ron's getting jealous about Melinda. Oh, no, I think it's when everyone calls him out for drinking a bunch. And he's like, who wants to talk about the past? It's a reunion, right? Yeah. Did you have a favorite scene or anything? Uh, Ken Marino getting super drunk. I think just the way go. that that evolves is is really good. And uh, also a running gag. Nobody wants to clean the bathroom because yes. who wants to clean a bathroom? Nobody wants to clean a bathroom. And we get more bathroom stuff in our season one finale, the Stenheiser Pong wedding reception, where Party Down is actually serving as the supporting caterers to rival company Valhalla Catering, who is run by the very detailed and abrasive Uda Banked. And their party has their shit totally together. And Henry basically has to take the reins of the of the team because Ron is his feelings get hurt by Uda when she calls him a loser and someone who can never run a supercracker, so he gets drunk. So he has to help take over. Like Bobby is High on mushrooms. Roman is taken away to be a human bathroom sign. Kyle has to take over for a Valhalla catering member. And Casey's on the phone a bunch of times uh, for a gig she might be taking. And you also get Roman pestering George Decay with nerdy-ass Star Trek questions in a bathroom. Kyle gets the part in the movie when talking to one of the grooms. But it is like – it's very insinuated that he's willing to do, quote, anything for this job. But we're not sure if he actually performs anything here. What the follow of this episode did is, is Casey ends up taking a stand-up gig on a cruise that's going to take her away for six months. So that's going to sort of put a dent in her and Henry's relationship because she just asked Henry to stay with Party Down, and now she's leaving. So Henry's like, well, what do I have to stay for? And the great thing is, is Alan Duck comes and sees how much they screwed up, but she's able to take the fall for Ron. And then Alan tells Ron that he found a place to open up a Super Crackers franchise in Torrance, California. Which means that Ron is leaving Party Down and Alan Roth offers the role of team leader to Henry. And impressed by how much he carried Ron throughout the evening, Uta gives Henry her phone number at the end of the night to uh, have a personal relationship perhaps going forward. So a lot packed into this season finale. But I thought it was a pretty effective finale in terms of setting up a bunch of things to make me wonder what's coming next in season two. Yeah, I think this was a this was definitely an effective finale. I think that what Kristen Bell is able to do in this episode is great. It's unfortunate that we only get her in two episodes because I think if there was a way to have integrated her, I think she would have been a a perfect foil in a lot of ways. I think that giving her this very specific character trait of uh the Bluetooth and you never quite know who she's talking to, it just works out tremendously well. And I'm a huge fan of Kristen Bell, as we've talked about with Veronica Mars and, of course, The Good Place, which we haven't podcasted about, but that's a really great show. And, yeah, she was just a great, great addition to the cast for this episode. And I think in a lot of ways, I think she is she really helps center the episode uh, because there's so much stuff going on and a lot of running gags and things of that nature and uh, just a lot of uh, farcical humor going on. But. 
Uh, I really, really enjoyed this. And yeah, uh, just leaving, leaving Henry in the place that he's at and potentially separating Ron seemingly and everything that's going on. Uh, yeah, I really like this episode. Yeah. So you mentioned Kristen Bell. Obviously the, the lead character of Veronica Mars finally shows up, uh, as I, and I think having her as a rival, rival catering person is a really funny conceit. And she was actually part of my favorite quote when she gives Roman the job of being the human bathroom sign. And Roman says to her, you know, I went to college. And she says, I didn't, but I still get the irony and walks away. She's phenomenal in this. And then George Takei, as I mentioned, uh, him and Roman in the bathroom is delightfully awkward and maybe my favorite scene of the episode. And then Ken Jong returns as Alan Duck. And that's season one for you. Overall thoughts? I think in talking about it, I think I think I season one more than I thought because – I do think that there there are definitely some really good episodes. Basically, the even-numbered ones, funny enough, I think are the ones that are really good. And I think the odd ones are either mixed and maybe not as great. But I really did appreciate what they were going for. And I think I think the first season more than the second season is so heavily reliant on the guest stars being good that basically what ends up happening because of that is when you get J.K. Simmons and Kristen Bell, the episode is good. But when you get maybe some of the other guest stars, eh, maybe not as good. But you can see that the show is finding itself, and I think they really position the characters well so that I think season two is just much better. Season one was something I was watching, and I actually felt bad because I was like, I feel like this isn't as funny as I remembered it. And I was like, is Jerome going to think I'm insane for saying the show was good? But then you get to like the high school reunion and even the Armenians party episode and then like the rest of season two. And I'm like, okay, season two, like that's kind of what I remember is like, like that spirit and the, and the enjoyment of party down. I have in spirit season two, I guess covers it all. But yeah, there's still plenty of good stuff in season one, but I think it is much weaker than season two overall. I would agree. And in season two, we get a big casting change as now that we have Jane Lynch out. She is replaced by Megan Mullally, who plays Lydia Dunfrey. And she's not an actor herself, but a divorcee who moved to Hollywood to help her 13-year-old daughter named Mercedes to become famous. And that's the dynamic I was saying I really like about this episode is not only it's a, it's a mom who's a little older and not as hip as some of the actors, but also she's trying to get her daughter famous, not someone who's trying to get famous herself. So I really like a lot of what Megan Mullally brings to the team and to the, the crotch itself. Uh, I think whenever I see Megan Mullally, I can – never not think of her and think of Parks and Rec. Um, I know that she was on Will and Grace. Will and Grace, I'm not a multi-sitcom person, so I was never going to really watch that show, but that's every time I think of Megan Mullally, I think of her in Parks and Rec or the voice work she does on Bob's Burgers because she has a very distinct voice that I recognize every single time. So yeah, that's 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 kind of my relationship with her. They were joking during the, the round table about the, the low pay they got in Megan Mullally's like, oh, I think I got, you know, like 7,000 an episode or something. And they were like, oh, like joking, like, oh, yeah, that's what you got on Will and Grace Wright. She's like, yeah, I got 7,000 per minute. And I'm like, you're like the Kevin Nash of this, of this crew. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, for another five grand. So season two, episode one starts with the Jackal Onassis backstage. Jackal Onassis, I think, is very much supposed to be a Marilyn Manson a- analog. But the gentleman who plays him is just really tired of the fake life being a rock star has brought him. So in order to enjoy the night is just a layman, a bartender named Dennis. He actually dresses and paints up Roman to look like him. 
and Jackal loves embracing the the just being a normal person. And then Ron, who is no longer part of the team, shows up with his way too young girlfriend named Mandy so Henry can bring her backstage. And dressed as the Jackal, Roman still has no game with women, but he still ends up ending signing Mandy's boobs and crotch area as him. And he uses his own signature. But now that Henry's the shift leader, he has to fire this insubordinate worker and bring in Casey as a backup for the night. And that's obviously very awkward, their dynamic. Uh, but they also learn that Ron's supercrackers failed. Casey tells Ron that she is seeing someone else. Uh, but it has to end up being inadvertently Jackal Onassis who reveals to Casey that Henry is now dating Uda. Um, so you got that different dynamic with them going on. But I really think that Jimmy Sampson's who plays Jackal Onassis makes this episode. And, uh, I, I like, I like the idea of the episode and he really makes it. I think it starts really funny with, uh, Henry having to fire this little person and the little person being a drunk and, I don't know how, how it's aged, but I laughed. So maybe that makes me a terrible person. And I guess I have to be okay with that. But the dynamic of the, of Henry being the leader, I think it just, it makes for an interesting new dynamic and, you know, what he has to do with Casey. Uh, specifically though, Jimmy Simpson, who I've really liked in a lot of, in a lot of things. I think he's great here. So Marilyn Manson dated Evan Rachel Wood, and there have been a lot of allegations of abuse and whatnot on her part. And I couldn't help but think of that because she and Jimmy Simpson were on the television show Westworld together. So I, I that's uh, that's the connection that I was making at the time. And uh, it's just weird because Fred Savage is also the director of this episode, and Fred Savage has also uh, been accused of being a creep on multiple TV sets. So – a little bit uncomfortable just watching this episode with that knowledge. It doesn't affect the quality of the episode. The episode is still very, very good. And Jimmy Simpson is a big reason why. It's a shame. Again, I feel the same way I feel about Kristen Bell. It's almost a shame we couldn't get more of Jimmy Simpson because just the character that he plays and the re, like the quote unquote realism that he wants and just being sick and tired of it all and like being bored by the potential of having like an orgy with these women. It just, it works out really well. So yeah, Jimmy Simpson rules and is really good. I guess because the show has no budget, it's a shame that we couldn't get seeing what his music is like and hearing him sing and whatnot. And that we couldn't actually see like the Adam Scott commercial where he, uh, says the, the infamous line. I wish we could have gotten those a little bit, but obviously budget constraints. Maybe season three will finally see the commercial. I think that would be tremendous to just have him like aged down, like having old Adam Scott like aged down to being a. It it would actually make it funnier. A hundred percent agreed. And so on top of Jimmy, you have two other guest stars. You have Danny Woodburn who plays Tim, the 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 midget that he gets fired at the beginning, and that's one of my that brings up one of my favorite quotes because he's saying to Henry that he's only firing because he's a little person. And he says, this is only because you're a shitty worker that you're getting fired. That is very funny. And then Michael Samstroff, who plays Maurice or Maury on The Wire, is Jackal's manager. So that's a pretty big guest star, I think. Yeah, the first of two Wire castings in this season. That's and right. uh, he's really good. He's just the shadiest lawyer ever in The Wire. And this he's, he's not as shady, but there's definitely hints of it. Uh, I am, uh, I'm a fan of his and yeah, he's been in a million, he's been in a million things and is always uh, a delight to see. 
Yes, and then um, when Ron gets up being tased, and then Henry fires Jackal Onassis as Dennis uh, to sort of take the fall for the to sh- to show in front of of Jackal's manager that he's taking the job seriously, and then Dennis fires him and he smiles. I did think it was funny that Jackal's manager has no idea what he looks like without all the makeup and stuff on, though. Any favorite moments or quotes from you? That that opening scene I think really sets the tone for who Henry is as a boss and. Almost everything Jimmy Simpson says, just talking about wanting to be more real and stuff like that. Uh, those are the those are the things that stick out. And then episode two, Precious Lights preschool auction. Henry gets Ron work back on the team because again we learned that his Super Crackers franchise failed, and he's like drinking and taking pills on the job. He wears the shirt with these heinous armpit armpit stains, and it feels like he's trying to send a message to Henry the way that Henry behaved when Ron was the team manager. Lydia also gets upset because there's a silent auction going on, and Henry's telling her, hey, don't bid on this Tom Hanks lunch because it's stacked so someone else can can win it, and Lydia takes his advice the wrong way. So to further upset Henry, Ron and Lydia pretend to have sex, but it's only Mandy, Ron's girlfriend, who ends up hearing what she thinks is Ron cheating on her. And there's also part of this, Casey's sort of on edge because she uh, tried out for this Judd Apatow movie. And she's befriending the host of the party who used to be a former member of the Groundlings. And later she finds out that she got the part in the Apatow movie. There's a lot of moving parts here, but you get the return of J.K. Simmons and Joey Lorem Adams, which I know you loved. This is an interesting and fun episode. Yeah, I think this is a solid episode. I don't think it's like top tier, but I think it's really funny. And I think J.K. Simmons elevates it. I think my, so I do, I did actually write down my favorite quote is uh, when J.K. Simmons tells Henry that He's never going to work in this town again. And, and Henry's like, I know uh, that was uh, that was really funny. <laughs> I know uh, I, my favorite J.K. Simmons delivery is when he said, like, the difference between you and James, James Vanderbeek's parrot is the parrot can deliver a line. And then <laughs> Joey Lauren says to something like you once told me you drink two kinds of apes come to play Pebble Beach with Tiger Woods. And he says, yeah, but that's sports. Sports are cool. J.K. Simmons and Joey Lauren Adams have are, are delightful together, and yeah, I, I I would watch a show with just those two as like a romantic couple. Same, and the and the only other guest star I had was Andrea Savage, the woman who was befriending Casey, who was part of the Groundlings. She's been in Step Brothers. She was on the Dog Bites Man Comedy Central show. She was in Veep, more or less a character actress, but she's always very good no matter what she does. And then my favorite scene is something else happening was that there was like a an old comic book that Roman wanted to bid on and he was trying to get Kyle to lend him the money and there's a barista who's on site too and uh one of the things from season one they talk about is how uh party down catering can either get tips based on just like a percentage or they can put out the tip jar and Ron always wanted to put out the tip jar no one else wanted to because they never got good tips because of the way things went down and when and so now Henry is always just taking the guaranteed tip. But on this night, Ron's telling him, hey, man, these are people trying to show off. Like, trust me, you should put out the jar. And he says, no, I don't think so. So the end of the episode, Kyle gets the comic, sells it to the barista and the barista pours out his bucket of tips. And everyone is looking to see just how many t- tips the barista got and making Henry realize that maybe he should have listened to Ron. And a lot of the mid credit scenes are some of my favorites, but just like watch that and see like the look on Ron's face when they were all counting the tips the guys got. It's a good one. Yeah, it's uh the the tip thing is a is a great runner because rich people tip very poorly. So always take the gratuity. That's that's my philosophy is 
just take the gratuity and the guaranteed money because otherwise rich people, uh, they suck. But that was the opposite lesson here. These were people at a charity auction trying to show off, so the barista made big bucks. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's uh, it's it's good stuff, and uh, just seeing a different kind of rich person. Like, I think there's this idea of what they're trying to go for here is like maybe being a little magnanimous, but they're still kind of assholes. And just the idea of the auction and and whatnot. I think it it plays off really well, and. Yeah, I think class stuff is always – I think that always makes for good TV because uh, rich people are assholes. Yes, they are, and you see some of that in episode three, Nick DeSentio's Orgy Night. Nick DeSentio is trying to throw an Eyes Wide Shut style party but apparently did not make that clear enough on the invitation. So, Oh, my God. All this gets you very awkward about it. Uh, and Roman, of all people, helps him try to create an orgy atmosphere. And Casey is not happy about how women are being objectified, but Lydia still wants to try to hook up with the host. Ron, on the meantime, is sad because I guess Mandy dumped him after she heard him thinking that he was cheating on her. Henry later makes him feel better as he's sort of sharing some of his own relationship issues with Uda. And Henry and Casey also commiserate over their significant other issues later in the episode as well. And Kyle himself is really sad because a movie he got got released straight to DVD in Asia and one of these models at the party has no memory of working with him and just says he's no more special than any other aspiring actor. A lot of the stuff with uh, Thomas Lennon, who plays the host of the party, is very funny. But it is a pretty down episode. A lot of sadness with our characters here. Yeah, I was I was a little disappointed. We get we did not see Andy Daly. That's really unfortunate because, of course, he did an episode reviewing orgies. So it would just it would have been uh, it would have been nice to see him here, but we did not. Uh, the people that were there. Uh, this was a very funny episode. This is also a great showcase for two uh, characters who maybe don't always get the the showcase that they deserve. Or I think in Martin Starr's case, I think the character has kind of been underdeveloped. This this is where the Martin Starr character turned around for me a little bit. He was still being gross, but it was just turned down like 10%. And I think when you calibrate a character like that, you really have to just calibrate it correctly, and I think it was just right for this episode. And I think that making him competent here uh, was actually a really important step, just because I think, again, the Martin Starr character is just – Roman is just – he's an asshole, he's a creep, and that's kind of all he is. But here he is somewhat competent while still being consistent with being Roman, and just the way that Kyle gets absolutely bitched out. Uh, what a great moment. Like, he's literally a model who – you just see her boobs and you don't see her face for part of it. And it was kind of annoying. But then she gets this moment of agency and just the way that she rips into Kyle was really, really appreciated. Not just from the perspective of giving Kyle some depth, but also because it kind of makes this 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 female character who basically has no name, giving her some agency and and kind of being the, the opposite of the episode uh, where they were working at the porn party. So uh, I think this. This uh, this sex party was much better uh, than the porn one uh, the previous season. So, yeah, I think this is a really strong episode. You also get some really strong advice, which is in the form of my favorite quote. Don't be in the fuck room and be surprised if somebody wants to fuck. Don't even go into a room called a fuck room and not expect to see some fucking. I think we all that, feel that deep down. I feel like that could very easily have been a line in, in the TV show Succession as well. And then my favorite scene actually involves the only other guest star besides Thomas Lennon, that being Ian Roberts, uh, Upright Citizens Brigade original. He does a ton of TV shows and one-offs here and there. 
But it's when Ron and Henry realize that they took this drunk ass to go home and he ends up just falling asleep, passing out in the yard and realizing that, oh, crap, we left him there and the sprinklers go off around him. So episode four is the James Ellison funeral where the mistress of the deceased and her child show up to the funeral. And Henry and Casey try to hide that fact from the widow, but it turns out they had an open relationship. And we also have uh, Kyle approaching this person he thinks is a blues singer at the at the funeral trying to learn about the blues and the singer basically fucks with him all day long as Kyle really deserves and Ron is still very depressed about Mandy and gets high on the job uh that's a really succinct uh way to summarize the plot here but I thought the acting from uh Tamala Jones and Loretta Devine who play the the daughter and the mother of the deceased respectively uh Tamala's from Castle Loretta I knew from Boston Public do a fantastic job and even Arden Mirren uh, who was on Shameless and Matt TV as the mistress. All three of them did a, a really good job in their roles. So to me, this is another episode that's sort of bolstered by some of the guest star work. I really like this episode a lot. I want to point out that I saw Clerks 3 uh, just before watching this episode. So uh, I was looking for something funny. So I decided to put on this episode of Party Down, and I was very much not disappointed by this one. And I really, really like this episode. And just the, the dynamics that are at play. I love the fact that not only does he have one mistress, he probably has multiple mistresses and they're trying to celebrate his life. And it's just tremendously funny stuff. And Loretta Devine is somebody who's again, been in a million things and uh, she really elevates this, uh, this, this show. And yeah, it's just, it's really funny. I think it's, it's pretty simple. Just the dynamics of play are really simple. And yeah, I think this works. I couldn't decide if my favorite scene was either Ron accidentally hotboxing himself in the casket because just the way he's like this, like in this weed coma when they open up that uh, open him up there is really well done. But then the widow being surprised that his mistress was an Asian was good. And then the ending when another Asian mistress with a half black kid shows up, just great stuff. Like what a, what that's, a way to that's great setup and payoff. I think that's when you're, when you're talking about comedy and you're always trying to take things to the next level, like that's how you do it is where you seemingly like have the situation where, Oh, maybe it's not this, but then it turns out it really was this. And yeah, it just, it plays off really well. And I love the fact, I, I think that the, the guest stars and the main cast are just really, really well integrated uh, in this episode. And I think that's, that's probably the strongest aspect of it is just how connected everything feels. And yeah, just, I really like this one. And then I think episode five is considered by a lot of people to be the best or the, at least their favorite episode. And that's Steve Gutenberg's birthday. They kind of throw out <clears throat> the usual dynamic of them hosting a party. They show up to Steve Gutenberg's house and they don't know it's his house until he pulls up in a car and what happened is is he hired them for a birthday party, but then his friends threw him a surprise birthday party, and he just forgot to cancel. So instead of having to eat the deposit and have all the food be trashed, he says, why don't you all call over some friends, and we'll stick around and have a party ourselves. So what happens is is they discover that Roman and his writing partner who are there have this script, and so Steve Gutenberg has them all acted out so they can give it advice, which obviously turns out to be pretty awkward for Roman. We have Ron is back to the old Ron after he has that uh, weed cocoon experience, his buzz cut. He's an AA, and he obviously has no idea how to use AA because he accidentally gets a piece of shrimp stuck in Steve Gutenberg's like, fish filter, 
and invites a sponsor over to help him out because he also happens to be a plumber or something along those lines. And his sponsor ends up getting drunk themselves. So a sponsor sponsor has to show up and they castigate Ron for abusing AA. <laughs> uh, but what's also interesting is Casey finds amongst Steve Gutenberg's DVD collection a movie with Henry in it and watches his home theater. And then later they're in the hot tub together and she's telling Henry that he thinks he's actually a really good actor. And they'd actually had a scene where they kiss in Roman script earlier, but they kiss for real again in the hot tub. But Henry puts a stop to it and reminds Casey that, you know, you were the one who dumped me. So still some tense feelings there. But this I, – I do like that they changed sort of the story of just, oh, they go to a party, they cater at what happens there and turns in them being the ones who are having the party with, with Steve Gutenberg himself. I am very amused by the fact that Steve Gutenberg is not an asshole and he's like a really chill dude in this one. And I think it really just creates the vibe of this. Like there's still chaos and there's still a lot of madness, but the episode just feels a little bit more relaxed and I think it kind of changes the dynamic. I don't know if this is like a traditional bottle episode, but this definitely has the feel of bottle episodes that comedies have done in the past. And, you know, I guess every party down episode is kind of a bottle episode in its own way uh, because of the one location. I guess, Kevin, is this Steve Grotenberg's actual house? That's one of the questions I had. I have no idea. There was no commentary on this or anything, so I don't know for sure. Okay. I definitely enjoyed this episode a lot. I don't know that this is the best one or if it's my favorite, but I think this was a good one. And look, anytime Steve Goodberg is mentioned, I think back to the Stonecutter song. I think, I think you and you are probably in that same boat, but I think he is very good on Veronica Mars and I think he's very good here. I think it's hard to play yourself sometimes, but I just think he comes across as being really confident and, uh, and really solid. Which is unfortunate uh, because a few years later he would play a judge in an anti-Roe versus Wade movie. And, uh, yeah, so there you go. That's all I got. His his casting was very funny, too, because I think it's like he heard about the show and called Rob Thomas and he was like, oh, I'd really like to do this. And then later he saw a billboard and, like, called Rob Thomas and be like, hey, man, congratulations. He's like – Oh, thanks. Uh, we just wrote a part for you in an episode, so good to hear from you. That's it seems funny. like everyone had like the best time on this show. Like when you get to the end of it and they ask about like where this ranks amongst the most fun thing you've done, like everyone says it's like number one. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like a really like despite all the chaos, like I could see just having an absolute blast. I could imagine it being really easy to shoot because again, you're kind of in one location, so I would imagine that would actually make this kind of a good COVID show. But I will say, Kevin, I know you said a lot of people think episode five is the is the best or the favorite. The next episode that we are going to discuss is my favorite episode. Well, before we get to that, we got to talk about some of the guest stars on top of Steve himself. You have Christopher Mintz Plus. Uh, how do we know this gentleman, Jerome? Again, super bad. He, he is McLovin in perpetuity for life. Uh, one of the, the girls that I believe it was. Uh, Ryan Hansen's character brought over Sarah Hable. She's in Riverdale. Lu- Lupe Ontiveros, who is the friend that Lydia brings over. She's in Desperate Housewives. And then the AA sponsor of Ron's, Brad William Hankey. Uh, he was in like a couple episodes of Lost, but also in Orange is the New Black. So quite a few, uh, guest stars who have done some stuff in this episode. <laughs> Lost? Who, who watched that show? Anyways, uh, I think my favorite scene was the, them acting out the scene after the rewrites because it was so much better. And then Colette ends up staying behind with Steve Gutenberg. And then my favorite quote from that 
is Ryan Hansen's character saying, I fucking hate Steve Gutenberg. That, that would probably be my favorite line of dialogue as well. I, I just think this is just such a different episode because there's, there's less people around and yeah, it's just, it's, it's a good one. I don't want to go too plot heavy on episode six, the not on your wife opening night, which is actually directed by David Wayne, who was another member of the state and he's directed some other comedy movies and shows as well. But they cater this community theater's opening night. The The show itself is a farce, and it leads to a very farcical episode. Kyle's actually a former member of the theater. And there's a show-long story about, oh, we need to get more money for the theater, and Kyle can maybe sleep with this woman, and she turns out to be gay and sleeping with the theater member's husband. And one of the managers is actually in love with them, and they get the donation, and the theater is saved. But some of the other parts of this here, we have – Roman speaks very poorly of the theater until two of the theater members keep tons of praise on him because the writers are the ones who keep the theater going and they get him very wine drunk as the bartender. And then you have Ron thinking that Lydia is hitting on him and returns the favor and ends up getting pepper sprayed in the kitchen. That was a very funny show running gag here, but it's your favorite episode. Tell me about it. Tell me why. I love, of course, Martin Starr, of course, Roman hates community theater. I think that's just a really good starting place because just the way that he acts in this episode, I think, is spectacular. Uh, Henry calling his relationship a farce. Just the way that you you establish the premise, very similar to the gun episode. You have the gun. Here you have this farcical community theater play that may or may not be terrible. And then the whole thing just slowly devolves. This becomes a farce in itself with confusion and relationship drama. There are just so many great moments, Kevin. There's the Megan Mullally uh, pulling the appetizers away from poor Mona. And really, I could just say this episode could be called Poor Mona because Mona just gets the short end of the stick constantly. I love just pulling. That's a great moment. Uh, Ron getting cake in his pants on a very awkward place. Kyle not being able to tell the difference between red and fuchsia is also really funny because he ends up making coitus with the, with the wrong person. It's just, I really, really just, it's really funny. Like I, it's, it's t- talking about comedies is always tough because you either find something funny or you don't. But the thing that makes this episode special to me is that you have this premise of they are working a a farce and then it becomes a farce in itself and it's just really funny. And again, you don't see farces as much anymore. I think farces are kind of old school and I think they're almost like frowned upon in a way. But if you can pull off a farce well, I think it just works. It works out really well. And I think this episode because it gets the farce part correct in every aspect. That's what makes it great. I just really love this episode. It is my favorite of the series. And it's because all the elements work. The writing is tight. Great editing, great directing, great performances. Yeah, just worked out. Just worked out really well. And you got a ton of very comedic people as guest stars here. Rob Hubel, Carrie Kenny from The State and Reno 911, Rachel Harris, Jim Piddock. And then you even have Sarah Burns here as the one that Kyle ends up sleeping with, who we know as Detective May from Barry. Unbelievable. I definitely recognized her. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, my God. Yes, Barry. 
very very different deliveries and characters and their and I'll say I, you know it's funny I think Barry and Party Down actually have a little bit in common in terms of the commentary on Hollywood so it was uh it was nice that there is a even more direct connection and uh I could uh I could see the the all the players from Barry actually being in a community production like this oh 100% so I think two of the maybe more farcical things kind of mimic each other for my favorite scene. One is Lydia walking in on Kyle in a gorilla mask and not Marguerite in a full body covering having sex. And then later Kyle walking in on a pepper sprayed Ron and Lydia with one of her sleeves ripped off in the kitchen. Anytime you have a, a character like that entering the scene and just something insane is going on gets a good laugh out of me. Yeah, just a lot of very good visual humor too. I think that's one of the strengths is that uh, it's not just the dialogue, but also just the visuals. And that's, you know, that's credit to the directing as well. Yes, most definitely. And so episode seven is the party down company picnic, another sort of change of pace like episode five was. And now they have a new owner, Bullish Lagosh. It's a very odd name to give a character after Alan Dunk ended up being sent to prison for fraud. And Ron plans to smooth the new owner to try to get an office manager job and ends up befriending his daughter, Danielle, who offers to help him. And they later hook up in the bathroom and up. Oh, turns out she's engaged. It's Valhalla Catering who's actually catering the company picnic. Obviously, you don't want your company catering their own party. And we see the return of Uda, who Bolas ends up offering her the job of office manager. And now she also wants Henry to work with her so it can bring some stability to their relationship. And Henry, in the meantime, is trying to decide if he wants to stay with Uda or get with Casey. Uda ends up turning down the job and breaking up with Henry. And so Henry also decides to make Ron the team leader after Uda makes him realize that being team leader isn't what he wants. So Henry goes through a lot of uh, a lot of character changes here. But Casey is also, in the meantime, getting very competitive during the company picnic games, building up a rivalry with a gentleman named Garland, which she ends up later trying to recruit to help them win a kickball game. And that goes all wrong. And we actually get to see Lydia bring her daughter Mercedes to the picnic for the first time and see how her daughter treats her like dirt. And Kyle's giving her some showbiz advice, and Lydia ha- helps her get a TV job in the end and is able to get back to, to being her manager position. Lots of stuff going on in the episode, but I like how it all broke down. This was a very busy episode that could have faltered, but I think it worked out really well uh, because they kept everything pretty tight. And I think this is a great showcase for Adam Scott and kind of the emotional journey that he has to go on in terms of like, yes, he is in this relationship with, uh, with Uda, but now is potentially more interested in pursuing something, uh, with Casey on a more permanent basis. So I love that dynamic and, uh, the, the breakup is perfectly executed. Just Uda's behavior. I mean, again, I can't say enough good things about Kristen Bell. Uh, in her two episodes, the competitive thing is kind of a great running gag just because, of course, they would be this hyper competitive with each other. And that's that's something that Casey would bring to the table. Uh, I love the guest stars. I think both guest stars uh, work out really well. Uh, June Diane Raphael has, you know, would you say she is best known for her run on How Did This Get Made? It's tough to say. I feel like maybe in general that might be the case. But I think a lot of people who are above our generation really got to know her best in Grace and Frankie. Yeah, I mean, I was going to mention Grace and Frankie. I mean, I, I watched that show, and I think she was really good on it. But I feel like How Did This Get Made is just like a monster of a podcast. 
that that is where people most know her from. It's tough to say. Grace and Frankie is a pretty is a pretty highly regarded and well and it was watched by a lot of people. So yeah, that would be my it would be my inkling to say that just because you know Netflix I still think is pretty popular more than a lot of people listen to podcasts, but still like of the podcasts it's one of the biggest. Period. But yeah, she has a great she has really great chemistry with Ken Marino and she's so funny in this too. And also a very different character from Grace and Frankie, which I appreciate. Yeah, it's just it's sad that we didn't get more of those two together because I think like if they had gotten a, uh, like a romantic comedy or or something like that, I think it would have been it would have been super good because uh, they they play off each other really well. And I was kind of surprised because I think again I think of June Di- Diane Raphael is kind of playing this specific character on Grace and Frankie, but um, I don't want to say she's more passive, but that's the word that's coming to mind. Uh, with this character, but yeah, she's, uh, she's really good. And yeah, uh, the other guest star that's really good. Um, I had to point this out to you because you didn't even realize who it was. Caitlin Deaver. Yeah. I did not know who that was. She plays Escapade. She was, I know she's in that show, Last Man Standing. Which I have never watched an episode on, but I am sure that she has made a ton of money from that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the good thing about being in a network sitcom that runs 22 episodes a season. She's probably got a boatload of cash. Uh, she has been on, oh my God, so much. So she was on a lot of Last Man Standing. Uh, she was in a number of episodes of Justified, uh, which is a really good show. Uh, she has also been in the movie Booksmart. Uh, she has been in the TV show Dope Sick. So even though she is not even 25 years old yet, she has been in a ton of stuff. And I think she's really, really good in this episode. You know, I think whenever you get kid actors in the modern times, I think, my biggest concern is like, do they have a background at Disney? Uh, because then you're going to get kind of a specific kind of performance that's very broad. And like, I mean, like the kid is just trying too hard, but I just think he's, he's very acidic. I think he's perfect in this role. And yeah, he's really excellent. So two really good guest stars, great plot development, a very strong episode. Yeah, and then other guest stars uh, talk about uh, Michael Hitchcock, who plays the new boss. He's one of those faces who you'll see him in like an episode or two of a bunch of shows. But he also did like United States of Terra, a handful of episodes of Glee. And then, you know, he'll like uh, one episode of this or that. Oh, he was in a crazy ex-girlfriend in a bunch of episodes, things of that nature. And then Nat Faxon, who plays garland the competitive person through the episode i knew him best from beer fest but he is basically a voice actor in all of seth mcfarland's animated show so that's got to be pretty good work if you can get it yeah i mean you go to a recording studio and you're in there for an hour and you do your stuff and you get out it's like it's exactly like Krusty the clown right yeah but it's like all right here's your lines for family guy here's your lines for american dad here's your lines for the cleveland show here's three big fat checks have a nice day (laughs) It's great work if you can get it. Yeah. He was also in that short-lived FX show with uh, Kitty from Arrested Development that I never watched it, but the commercials made it seem pretty funny. Married is the name of the show I'm thinking of with uh, Judy Greer and Nat Faxon. Okay. In the meantime, we'll go to episode eight, Joel Munt's Big Deal Party, which is a, a big Roman-centered episode because he's upset that the party they're catering for is this huge event hosted by his ex-writing partner, Joel Munt who Roman once about a time fired a beer being a, quote, a hack and a sellout who knows nothing about sci-fi. And now Joel is turning a book, Axiom Alien, into a movie and has the support of the author A.F. Gordon Theodore. And A.F. gets really upset when Roman points out this part of the book that he feels Joe might bastardize on the screen. 
And then later Roman sort of inadvertently helps Joel solve his dilemma when he learns that AF is going to take his name off the project. You get this sort of like side plot where Casey and Henry are trying to have sex in the party down van, but Henry locked his keys in the van. That kind of plays out through the episode. And Ron, who is sort of uh, not doing the best with Joel, ends up breaking his car when he tries to break into the van. And Ron also tr- introduces his RDD system, Ron Donald's Do's and Don'ts, which has its own humor in and of itself. And Kyle uses the security footage of Ron breaking the car to get out of being punished because of the RDD system. And Lydia is ends up accidentally taking cocaine in the bathroom is an insane all night long. Uh, poor Megan Mullally was apparently incredibly sick filming this episode. So, of course, she's in probably the most scene she has in any episode and has to be this upbeat, crazy person. Not just sure. upbeat, but she has to be very manic. And I think that is a fantastic running gag. Like, she starts out by saying she really just did want to powder her nose. And, of yep. course, that is lingo for doing cocaine in the bathroom. And that's what ends up happening. And then the payoff is, like, she mentions powdering her nose. And then someone gives her makeup and she's... This <laughs> is very fucking makeup. <laughs> That might be the best line. Uh, this is this is a great episode for her, and it's a it's a shame she was sick. Uh, I mean, could the performance have been better because she was sick? Maybe I don't know. It's it's uh, it's really fascinating, but yeah, I I don't I don't really have a lot of notes for this episode. I think it was good. I I think Paul Paul Tier is one of those actors who I think he's really good in small doses, but I think just with his persona and what he does. And, and again, it's funny because he's also, you know, he's the other one of the other co-hosts on how did this get made. And, I, I you know, I think he's a great Twitter follow and I, I like his podcast appearances. But sometimes when he's on these shows, he can be a little bit too much. And I feel like he was a little bit too much here. And that doesn't mean that it was a bad episode. But this uh, this this wasn't my favorite. I, I think there's some good moments. I think Kyle Kyle's blackmail of Ron is very funny. Um, and, uh, using the videotape and whatnot. So that, that was good stuff. But, um, yeah, I was a little mixed on it, but I, like, I would still give this like a mild thumbs up. Well, you also have Andre Royo, who is Bubbles on the Wire in this episode as a party attendant who also, uh, seems to be on drugs as he's, uh, taking phone calls through it. His interactions are very funny with, with Kyle and Lydia. Poor uh, Bubbles can't get off drugs. He sure can't. But then I think, the real star of our guest stars is Dave Gruber Allen, Dr. Rosso from Freaks and Geeks as the director of the movie who or the, the writer of the book who's uh is getting his project made into a movie. He's he's really good. I really like him because he's clearly he's clearly just trying to hook up with some ladies and they're having none of it. And like it's very clear like he's been a very successful writer and it's finally like seeing like the kind of his dreams realized and, you know, maybe he's a little bit too old uh, to fully appreciate it, but like, he's clearly going for something and uh, just a very specific kind of character. And again, also a very distinctive voice. I've been watching a lot of King of the Hill and and he is in a bunch of episodes of King of the Hill and I recognize his voice every single time. Uh, So yeah, he's, he's very good in this episode. Yeah, he's definitely very much out of his element and like his idea of Hollywood is obviously from like movies or TV. So I like when they get into the bathroom and they're going to do cocaine. He's like, oh, we're going to do it off the woman's tits. And my favorite part <laughs> of that scene is where he dumps the entirety of the makeup case full of cocaine onto one of the women. And Paul Shear's like, what the fuck, man? Lydia has such great lines in this, but I like when um, uh, Dr. Rosso is like overhearing this conversation. He's just like, oh, 
These people are Philistines. And Lydia goes, and some Jews. That's what's so great. Everyone gets along. <laughs> Lydia's always trying to get everybody to get along, and uh, that's uh, that's pretty good stuff. Uh, episode 9 uh, actually might be maybe my favorite episode. It's It's amongst one of the top ones. Cole Landry's Draft Day Party. Now, there's a top quarterback in the Pac-10 conference, I think they said. Uh, they said the Pac-12. Pac-12. He's a quarterback, anticipated to be one of the top NFL draft picks. But there's a rumor that he is gay that prevents all these teams from taking him. And that even the sportscasters mentioned, like, you know, they wouldn't care otherwise, but this is the face of the franchise. America isn't as far along as we think it is. So in order to try to debunk that rumor, they convince Casey to pretend to be his girlfriend for a news interview. But the news reporters have a photo of him with another man at the West Hollywood nightclub. And it ends up actually being a good thing for him because San Francisco takes him in last in the first round and he gets a model offer from Abercrombie and Fitch. But what else happens with that is there's a party attendant named Jerome who overhears Casey telling Henry that she's taking her mom to the Judd Apatow. And I want to be clear, it's not, it's not me. So Jerome is lamenting to Henry that he knows just what it's like for your partner to only want to be seen with you and no one else is around. And I love the payoff that this is actually Cole's partner. And he gets pissed when he sees a photo of Cole kissing another man, which also blows up his spot in front of everybody. I also like that Lydia is the only one on the entire party down catering team who knows anything about football. And she's more of an every person, so she really likes this party and hits it off with Cole's newly single father, Bill. But then his ex-girlfriend shows up to support him emotionally by the end. And then while all this is going on, Ron is very concerned about the amount of his uh, male ejaculate output. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Ron is really cracking down on phone usage, so he gets mad when he sees Kyle take a phone call to get a band gig and won't let him leave early. So as to play a prank, Kyle found this other football player named Ziggy who also is a pre-med student and gets him to play a prank and tell Ron that he might have prostate cancer. And so Ron asks him to ballpark how much output is too low and then later presents Ziggy with a container of jizz. And Ziggy flipping out over this off screen as Cole with Casey is being filmed is, I think, the the high point of the episode. Uh, this episode is great. You're the the football person here, so I know draft. I don't know much about drafting. Like I know the idea of it, but I, I is that idea of like the later you get drafted means less money you make. Also true. Yeah, it's very true. Basically, in the first round, you're guaranteed to make a certain amount of money. And the lower you go, the less money you're guaranteed. And just, just by getting in the first round, you're, you're going to get a decent amount. But obviously, like, if you're drafted first, you're going to get more money than if you're drafted 30th. So it definitely is a big deal, uh, for a quarterback like this. And there is that definite thing of quarterbacks falling. I have never heard of a quarterback falling because of rumors of being gay. Like, I'm sure that it's happened, but I don't think it ever gets discussed as openly as this and like, again, I want to be clear, no doubt it happens. And players have probably not been signed because of their sexuality. And someone like Colin Kaepernick is not signed because of his political views. So this is definitely something that happens where your talent does not dictate your position in the draft necessarily. So that, that very much feels accurate to life. But I think what's, what is interesting is that, in a lot of cases, a lot of your, your first round picks go to wherever the draft is and they're actually there in a suit. And, um, if you're somebody who likes football and, or doesn't know, like go look up Aaron Rodgers NFL draft day and 
you'll see just his reaction as he is falling in the draft. Um, and some have said that like he's had a chip on his shoulder because of that ever since. So it, it, it definitely happens and, uh, it's, it's pretty awkward and pretty rough. But for this specific case, I don't think it's based on anyone specifically. The execution of this episode, the lack of a budget is very prevalent here because it's not like they have an ESPN or something. And I think with a slightly higher budget, like if they could have had like either actual sportscasters or uh, better people doing it, I think it would have been even better. Uh, so it's just unfortunate that this uh, this didn't totally work. Yeah, I could see that. I, I mean, as, I guess as someone who just is a novice to a lot of that stuff, it worked just fine for me. But I totally get your point about it be like guest stars hurting it for sure. The lack of them, I guess I should say, that are in that world. Yeah. But I do like the guest stars we have. You have Aaron Hill, who I haven't seen Greeker Baskets. He plays Cole Landry, but those are the two shows he's best known from. His dad uh, is played by Rick Hall. So I that's when you have Aaron Hill and Rick Hall. Last names are close and they're related on the show. I don't know him either, but he was on that Casey undercover show with Zendaya on the Disney show channel. So good for him. Matt Walsh, like Ian Reynolds, is one of the four Upright Citizens Brigade's originals. He's also in Veep. I'm a big fan of Matt Walsh. And then you get a Mean Girls reunion as Daniel Francese, who plays Damien in, in that movie, is reunited with uh, with Casey on the show. So that's a, a fun little connection as well. And I loved his character here. So, And I mentioned my favorite scene was with him, but I also love that after Jerome, you know, has yelled fuck a bunch of times and then – Rick's ex-girlfriend shows up and says, like, who the fuck is wearing my clothes? Casey just looks and, like, quietly says, like, you can't say fuck on TV. <laughs> yes, that's, uh, it's, it's really good stuff. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, uh, of the, of the draft party dynamics and I love when they're talking about the food and, and Roman has, uh, has some feelings on, uh, on the food and, and what they're eating because it's very much like a traditional, like, if you've ever been to a Super Bowl party or like a party to watch football, like that's the food that you serve and uh, it's not healthy and it's not intended to be. So that, so that was, uh, that was pretty funny. Yeah. And I love like things like Lydia knowing how to tap a keg makes, makes the dad, you know, very attracted to her, all that stuff <laughs> with her. This episode yes. is really great. I think this is a good episode. I think getting Casey to do something a little bit different, a nice change of pace and, and the runner with, with Ron and the sperm. What a tremendous showcase for, for Ken Marino. Like, there's a world, again, where if this show takes off, like, Ken Marino's just an enormous comedic star because of it. Like, when he's sitting in the van all sad and he's talking to Adam Scott and he's like, Henry, how much comes out of your penis? <laughs> and he's just looking at him like, what do I say here? <laughs> like, there's no right answer in that situation. None, None at but, all. But, I mean, it's just, it's remarkable. Like, I... I think we both really like him on Veronica Mars and I mean, he's been in a bunch of stuff, but it just feels like if this show is more popular, like Ken Marino is on another level because of it. Absolutely. And that brings us to our final episode of the, of the season and the series, Constance Carmel's wedding. We get Constance back, Jane Lynch back for the final episode of the series. She's getting married to a, a gentleman named Howard who Casey is very suspicious of. He's this older director from the 70s. He has some age on on Constance. He's been divorced a bunch of times. Howard's daughter and Howard are having her sign a prenup. So she's against a lot of this, but Henry had like this conversation with him on his own, and he truly feels like that Howard loves him. And that difference kind of prevents some friction between Henry and Casey going on. 
ultimately Howard dies in the getaway car and it turns out that he used a fake name to sign the prenup. So Constance gets it all. But Jerome, somebody interrupts their wedding. (laughs) I couldn't believe this. Uh, So the best line of the episode, objectively, and I will hear no argument. Is that Patrick fucking Duffy? Patrick Duffy, who Constance apparently got very high and called him and they used to have a thing and he's there to think that, oh, they're going to get back together. But no, she's she's getting married to somebody else. And it is it is delightfully cringe for a comedy. We yes, Howard frickin Duffy shows is up there, just for is this. There, is there a story with Patrick Duffy just showing up? I, if there is, I have not been shared it or, or told it. Because that was probably one of the most random things that we've ever discussed. And I think it's tough for people to, like, understand. Like, in the 70s and the 80s, Patrick Duffy was a huge deal. Dallas legitimately is one of the most popular television shows of all time. And Patrick Duffy was, like, the lead of that show. Then he went to do Step by Step, which was on the ABC, like, the TGIF lineup. And... Like, admittedly, that show isn't as big of a deal as Dallas, but, like, that was a network sitcom that ran for seven years, and, like, he got parodied on South Park. I know he was on the Dallas reboot, but, he, you know, he hasn't done a lot since, but, like, he really was a big deal. So I was really taken aback by this moment, and I feel like we may have spent way too much talking about it, but it was genuinely surprising. And with all that said, I think Patrick Duffy is, like, the perfect level of star to be cast for this particular role. Yes. Oh, absolutely. So then uh, what else is going on with Henry and Casey is that Kyle has this script that he's reading for that he doesn't understand. Like he's not smart enough to understand it. So he has Henry read it for him, but Henry likes the script so much. He's motivated to actually audition for a part or at least think about it. And Casey then learns later that her scene was cut from the Apatow movie. So she's obviously very down herself. So just a different dichotomy of those, there's acting careers. One, One goes up, the other goes down. Uh, Ron is thinking about risking it all for Danielle. She's present at the wedding along with with Stuart, her fiancé and her father, who is certain that he's going to be offered uh, the office manager job since Uta turned it down. And he actually interrupts Constance's wedding to try to convince Danielle to leave Stuart, and Stuart punches him in the face. And then later she ends up leaving Stuart and coming back to him, and Ron is excited to inform her that her parents are getting a divorce. So they can actually be together and he can still be operations manager because her mom will get party down. That is the first time Danielle has heard any of this. And, oh, my God, you talk about cringe. This is uh, <laughs> this is that good cringe this comedy can get. Pretty, It's pretty awkward, I would say. <laughs> that probably is putting it mildly. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's a pretty awkward moment. But, yeah, more good stuff with June and, uh, and Ken Marino here. It's a shame we didn't get a third season just because you would have gotten a lot more with those two. And. Maybe she would have even been a regular part of the cast. It's tough to decide if this is more awkward than my favorite scene of the episode. And my favorite scene is when Kyle's band sings a song called My Struggle at the reception. Oh, my God. And the slow realization everyone has about how radically anti-Semitic it sounds, which is bad because Howard is of the Jewish faith. I died laughing at this. I forgot about this song and I heard it and it made me want to die and I loved it. I laughed. This was so good. Yeah, it's that it's that awkward humor that I just think it could have this could have very easily not worked if you don't have the right tone and performance. But yeah, this they they absolutely nailed it here. 
the only other thing is Roman gets so high that he has to be, that he's brought to the hospital just so they can show him to the other nurses. He doesn't really he's sort of like <laughs> that's funny, but he was really like an afterthought in this episode, which is fine. I mean, you can't have everybody yeah. be the spotlight of it the whole every episode. Right, yeah. Because Roman doesn't really have like an ongoing plot. Like his plot is him being weird. Yes. So putting him to the side is is not the worst idea. Oh, and I love that Constance does not like Lydia. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's perfect. Like, the person who replaced, of course, he's not going to like her. So that works out really well. We mentioned Patrick Duffy. Other guest stars include uh, her husband, Henry, played by Alex Rocco. I would say probably best known as Mo Green in the Godfather movies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Pretty big I, I, would, I would say so. <laughs> and then John Ross Bowie plays da- uh, Danielle's fiance. I've heard him on a couple podcasts. I know he's like a recurring character in Big Bang Theory. But he's also someone's face. I feel like I've just seen a bunch of times. He does a show pretty good. That we will episode. never ever review. Never. <laughs> so I said my favorite scene, but I also like when Kyle brings the script to Henry and Casey's there, and Kyle's like, "Hey, can you read this for me?" And Henry says, "As if you're revealing that you can't read." And Casey's like, "I told you." <laughs> so the fact that there's been this behind the scenes conversation that he doesn't know how to read is very funny to me. It's kind of mean, but I, I mean, it kind of makes sense too. And I also like that the post credits is at a totally separate party to kind of see where we are. It's at a at a, a bar mitzvah. Ron's on the phone, with, and we kind of feel like he's still with Danielle. A new employee named Mundo shows up to work in Henry's place because Henry is auditioning for a partner show named Valor. And I like that Casey learns this, and like a smile kind of creeps across her face that. Henry seems to be giving acting another try, and that's how we end season two. And I think that's a, a good way to end the season. Uh, a really strong season, a big step up from season one, in my opinion. It's so much better. Season two is so much better than season one. Like, season one has a couple of episodes that I actively disliked. I, it, it's weird because I feel like there's a couple of my favorite episodes are, like, in season one. But my absolute favorite is in season two. And I think... Season two just has a lot more consistency, and that's kind of where I come down, and that's that's those are the things that work. And I just think the cast is is more solid. They have a better handle on their characters. I think they tone Roman down just enough to where he's not insufferable, just a lot more physical comedy with Ken Marino as Ron. And, like, there's a part of me that thinks, again, coming back to this idea of it, it was better as a network sitcom – that they could have slow played the romance a little bit more because it just feels like every episode has to address it in some way because there's a limited amount of episodes. And it feels like in some ways Henry and Casey don't get to be separate characters because they're always together or their plots are always threaded and things of that nature. So I, I almost wish that we could have gotten Casey and Henry more separated, not in scenes together, but just not thinking of them in terms of being a couple and maybe slow rolling a a little bit. But yeah, season two is just so much better, even though I think season one has the better quality of guest stars. I think, I think season two is just more consistent. Like I said, when I watched the show, we got part of the way through season one. I was like, gosh, man, I feel like this is, this might be a clunker. And then it got much better there. And then season two completely outperformed it. And it made me realize like, oh, yes, I do actually really like this show. And like you said, even talking through some of the season one stuff, I think I liked it more than I did. Or at least I realized it at the time. And not only just to mention, you know, what it would be on other networks or this or that, but 10 episode orders were not the norm at the time like they are now. No, I mean, I feel like this this would have been this should have been like 13 per season even. Yeah. So any other overall thoughts on the show you want to talk about? 
I think this is a good show. I think that I'm glad that I watched it and I have the full perspective of, you know, Rob Thomas's career in terms of like Veronica Mars and this and, and whatnot and getting to see Ken Marino kind of in a different role and kind of playing the lead, whereas he was more of a supporting character, kind of seeing uh, the start of Adam Scott's career, getting to see Ryan Hansen do some interesting things and just the cavalcade of very good guest stars. I, I'm glad I watched it. I'm not sure that, if we did podcast about it, I'm not sure that I ever would have watched this show, but I can't say that like this, I, I definitely enjoyed the second season a lot more than the first one. And I think that for that reason, it just justified my uh, watching the show. Before we get into the death and the rebirth, would you say it was canceled too soon? I would say yes. I feel like a third season of this would have been a potentially like Hall of Fame level, like Pantheon level season, because it just felt like everything was in place for a really good third season. I agree. When, when I watched season one, I'm like, oh, man, am I going to think this is canceled too soon? But, yeah, it seems like they got everything together in season two. There was a lot of interesting stories to explore, and they got the dynamics of the casting right. I would have loved to have seen a season three right after this. But what it really came down to was just it was canceled due to low ratings. But I think also they don't outright mention this, but the fact that Jane Lynch got pulled away by Glee and then Adam Scott became full-time on Parks and Rec, it probably would have ended anyhow. Or it would have been revamped to be completely different even without the low ratings. Something else Rob Thomas mentioned is he's like, Spartacus also sort of killed us. And he sort of jokingly said, you know, we had boobs in a few episodes, but Spartacus gave you blood and boobs every single week. But it did seem like at the time that's where a lot of their money and attention was is on Spartacus as well. Yeah, I mean, Stars definitely has some shows that are a big deal. And um, there's shows that may not be like on our wavelength, but uh, shows like Outlander and Power, which has had a bunch of spinoffs like those shows for a certain audience are a really big deal and they found success. But, yeah, I feel like Party Down, it's it's not necessarily something that I think Stars you know, obviously they're going to bring it back for a revival of some sort, but like, I don't think this is a show that they would green light today. Well, the good news is, is that it is coming back, but there's been sort of like a, a mini history of this show. Uh, what happened was, is in January of 2012, Megan Mullally said in an interview that, oh, a film is being written by John Enbaum, which picks up where season two left off. And then later that month, Martin Starr in an interview said that, hey, look, nothing has officially really happened, but keep your fingers crossed. And then three years later, Adam Scott in an interview said that a new film wasn't likely going to happen, and if anything ever did, it would likely be new episodes. Which then brings us to March of 2021, where it was announced that Stars would be bringing back the show for a six-episode revival. And the idea was sparked from this 10-year anniversary panel they did at the Vulture Festival, which I watched and really enjoyed. It's on YouTube for free to watch if you were interested in seeing it. But Rob Thomas said they all had such a good time doing this that he wanted to find a way to get everybody together again. And Stars announced that everybody would be back. Uh, Adam Scott, Ken Marino, Jane Lynch, Martin Starr, Ryan Hansen, and Megan Mullally. But Lizzie Kaplan is not set to return because she is working on an FX series, Fleischman is in Trouble, and a Paramount Plus show called Fatal Attraction. So that kind of sucks that she won't be around. But I do feel like maybe with the way the show ends, there's a way they can sort of organically write her character out, but it is going to stink to not have Lizzie Kaplan back in the revival. Yeah, which is weird because Fleischman's is actually coming out very soon on FX. So I, I know you also mentioned Fatal Attraction. I don't know what the production status of that is, but 
Has Party Down even started production? I believe it is totally done. Wow. They did also announce four new members of the cast coming to the revival cast. And I told Jerome not to look up this, this cast we're getting. I do know, I do know one of them, not because I looked it up because I would never, I would never cheat on Kevin like that, but I do know one of the people. Who is it? Quinta Brunson. That's not even on my list. Oh wow. She's supposed to be, um, Kyle's agent, I believe. Okay. Quinta Bronson. Yeah. She is the creator of Abbott Elementary, uh, the Emmy winning Abbott Elementary now. Wow. Okay. I, that is not on my list of the, the four people I had. So the one I don't know, oh, I don't know who she is, is Zoe Chow. She's in like the after party, strangers, things like a bunch of stuff that I've never even heard of. Do you know who Zoe Chow is? I am looking up. Yes. I have seen. Oh yeah. She is, uh, she is definitely somebody. Uh, that I have seen. She's very good in the after party. And so on top of Zoe, you have two genuinely big names joining the cast in Jennifer Garner and James Marston. That's pretty wild. I guess uh, I guess they're getting a budget for this one, huh? I guess so. James Marsden is great in 30 Rock, so I, I very much trust him to be very good in another comedy series. Jennifer Garner, I know, has done some funny movies and stuff, but I really haven't seen her in a while, so I'm really interested how she's going to fit into the the, the, the cast. Yeah, I'm very curious to see how, what their roles are going to be. I mean, James Marsden is great. So they're going to be in the core cast as, as members of Party Down, or are they just going to be guest stars? My understanding is they're part of the, the, the core cast, but it could be they're not wow. in every episode, people. But James, I feel like James Martin and Ryan Hansen are either going to be best friends or bitter enemies. Or frenemies. But, but the one person I didn't want you to hear about being on the cast is Triel Jackson-Williams. That's uh, that's going to be a really good one. I would say that for sure. Who is he, Jerome? I'm, I'm going to let you say it. Charles from Brockmire. Yes, I, I am aware, but uh, he's got he's got the one of the best lines podcasts. It's like the radio, but not the radio. He he might be the casting that I'm most excited about just because he hasn't really like he's been in stuff since Brockmire, but hasn't really been in like a big project. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to this. So we talked a long time about Party Down, but I feel like, you know, 20 episodes and, and the cult says it has, it deserves it. Uh, but that brings to the end of our discussion. And Jerome, I'm so glad I get to finally turn back over our hosting reins to you as we're going to close out 2022 back to back months discussing a different television series. So, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be a very different vibe from Party Down. I think it's, it's still a half hour. But it is going to be uh, focused more, you know, it's more of a dramedy. I would say we're going to be talking about the Duplass brothers, uh, the greatness of Melanie Linsky. And we're going to once again be talking about Amanda Peet as we will be talking about the two season run of the show Togetherness, which is uh, an HBO show that I definitely think was canceled too soon. Um, And, yeah, it's just going to be a very different vibe. Uh, from a lot of things that we've been talking about, much more in the relationship drama uh, sort of thing, but keeping the same location, Los Angeles. And, uh, yeah, that is what we will be covering in November and December. Uh, I think originally we were going to do Party Down over two months, but uh, we wanted to make sure that we got – because we didn't know whether Cancel Too Soon was going to continue into next year, so we wanted to make sure that we got these last two shows in. So we are. So November and December we will be discussing – togetherness season one november season two in december to cap off the year and then i i think we are going to be continuing with cancel too soon i still have got a good list of tv shows that were indeed canceled too soon uh that can carry us 
I've never seen Togetherness, but I love the Duplass brothers. I really like Amanda Peet, especially after watching her in Brock Meyer. So I'm very much looking forward to this. Yeah, uh, I'm. It's 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 going to be a very different vibe. And yeah, I think I think of all the shows that have been canceled too soon, this might be this might be right at the top of the list. So I am very much looking forward to talking about it. Well, this is the only show I'm doing right now in Enter the Real World. So if you haven't already, go listen to all the other stuff Jerome and I have done covering Breaking Bad, of Veronica Mars, uh, Brock Meyer, Hold and Catch Fire, and any other a bunch of other shows we thought were canceled too soon. You can also listen to me talk about Lost with my good friend Ben Lundy or talk about Adventure Time with Brad Groon and Justin Houston. All are here archived on the Enter the Real World. Those are completed projects. Jerome, what do you have going on right now? Uh, you can listen to Brian and I. We are just about finished with our examination of the Spider-Man animated series from the mid-90s, so definitely uh, go listen to that. We discussed comic books, Kevin. We discussed the Batman 89 run. Uh, that recently came out, the six-issue limited series. Uh, we recently discussed that. Uh, we're going to be talking about MCU stuff, and uh, we're going to be kind of putting a bow on Superhero Pantheon very soon uh, and shifting into some other things. So definitely go look forward to that. Follow me on Twitter, at JeromeC1985, uh, and that's pretty much it. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Be sure to leave your thoughts on the comment card below, and uh, we'll see you uh, next month and the month after that to talk about togetherness. I mean, who is more qualified to talk about bringing parties down than Kevin Ford and myself? Yeah!